Welcome to Looking for the Ocean, a podcast where we watch everything Pixar has ever made, and we talk about what it means to us. I am Mark Young, and I am joined, as always, by Danny Vincent. Danny, how are you? I'm good. I was so tempted to underscore your intro thought. Yeah, that is the music from one of the shorts that we're going to be talking about today, The Blue Umbrella. We're also going to be talking about The Legend of Mordu, which is the movie that is about the evil bear in Brave, and it was released on the DVD of Pixar, um, on the DVD of Brave when that came out. And The Blue Umbrella was released in theaters with the um, Monsters U. It had premiered in February at a film festival as well of 2013. But Mm -hmm. I'm doing okay. To answer your question (laughs) is I'm doing okay. That's good. I was just wondering because as we talk about these films, I wondered if we would get into like personal things. So I'm wondering if you're coming in with any added baggage before we get into that. Let's talk about The Legend of Mordu first. I might have some baggage with the Blue Umbrella, but I think The Legend of Mordu... I'll be real here. I would be extremely shocked if this episode isn't like 80% The Blue Umbrella. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Okay, so let's talk about The Legend of Mordu. The evil Baron Brave is named Mordu. He was one of the princes who was the prince to the king who ruled the kingdom in the ancient times, and he was the bad one. He wanted all the kingdom for himself when his father died. The Wikipedia page for this short film is probably longer than the film itself. That's really good, because I was worried that there wouldn't be a whole lot to talk about. But anyway, The Legend of Mordu is a short film, and it starts with going into the witch's cabin. She's narrating the story of the evil prince, and tells the story of how, oh, he wanted to defeat his brothers, or maybe just get more power for himself, and so he decided to make the agreement with the witch to become an evil bear. No, 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 no. He was told he can get ten times his strength if he enters this pact with the witch. And he's like, sure. And then when he becomes a bear, he's like, all right, sure, I'll take it. You know? That's really... (laughs) This witch is never forthcoming about, like, how this will turn people into bears, but yet it seems to be the only thing she knows how to do. (laughs) Oh, I don't even remember that from Brave. I thought that it was kind of like... I really, I really thought that she knew that her mom was going to become a bear. No, she didn't. It's a surprise. She's like, it's going to change if my fit. And it's like, the idea I think she has is like, it's going to like brainwash her mom to being like, okay with her being like a free spirit. Like, turn mom to hippie or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, I have I have a similar response to the legend of Mordu because we learned that it will either give him ten times his strength or it can mend his relationship with his other brothers. I think it's a little unclear how the spell is supposed to work. How is he supposed way. to know that? How is he supposed yeah. to know the details of the yeah, spell? Yeah, because it's just something that he drinks out of a horn. And also, in this short, it's like, the you know, in, in Brave, they break the tapestry. And there's so much talking about the tapestry, so that whole thing makes sense. And this is like, he breaks a stone tablet. How is he supposed to fix a stone tablet? How is that going to work? I, well, I mean, in Brave, <laughs> is it not like a metaphor? I don't know. Uh, I feel I feel like there are a lot of things to learn from the legend of Mordu. It's very interesting from like a like a story construction perspective. I think here's here's the problem with the legend of Mordu. First off, here's my big thing with the witch, the witch and brave. I feel like there's a whole joke there that's never acknowledged, but like pretty evident that this is a witch that only knows how to do like bear stuff. 
It's never outright said, but it's like they go to she goes in her cabin. It's like she has so many stone carvings of just bears, and there's like bears everywhere in there. And I think the bit is supposed to be like, oh yeah, I can definitely change your fate. Uh, I'll turn your mom to a bear because it's the one. She doesn't say it, but I feel like there is like a joke unsaid there that like this is a witch that weirdly only knows how to do like bear stuff. And yet hmm. when this short begins, she's introducing us, which is later revealed to be someone else in a really dumb joke. But she's introducing us to like this world and she's like, how, how about I do this magic thing for you? How about I do this magic thing for you? And it's like all these things I know she doesn't know how to do because none of them have anything to do with being turned into a bear. Well, I kind of thought that even in Brave, like she has a thing for bears, but when they go to her place the second time and she does that answering machine thing, she has all these different options that you can do. I don't know. I feel like you're right. But I just didn't catch that. I just thought she was a normal witch. And I feel like it could go either way. It's funnier if she's only knows how to do bear stuff. That, that to me, if she doesn't know how to do bear, only do bear stuff, that makes Brave as a film even worse. Because I do think the conceit of a witch that only knows how to do, like, one spell, and it's turning people into demon bears, is a funny joke. It's a funny joke. I don't know if the film really... It doesn't back it up, but it doesn't really do anything to, like... Because she has a talking crow, and, like, she really, like, you know, the only thing we ever hear is, like, oh, yeah, like, I, I can change your fate. Yeah, I can definitely do that. You didn't ask to turn off your fate, but I know how to do that. That will definitely change your fate, you know? <laughs> well, I guess I agree with you. But it's it's not clear to Mordu that it will turn him into a bear, but he still chooses the bear option and becomes evil. And then the rest of the story is but hey, him defeating. Aren't we happy at the end of the brave? <laughs> we talked about this last time. But aren't we happy at the end of the brave that this murderous man who committed genocide against his own army, he's like, well, at the end of brave, he gets to like nod his head and go like, thanks guys, <laughs> and gets to go peacefully on, peacefully on to his afterlife. Yeah, the tone of both Brave and the short to it, these princes is so bizarre. Because, it, like you said, in the movie, he turns out to be a normal dude. And in the short, all of the supposedly normal princes are presented in a very, to me, horrifying way. Like, there's a little montage where it's like, this prince is the good prince. This prince is the just prince. And then it gets to, like, this prince is the evil prince. But they no, all no, kind no, of no. look say, the this, same. This prince is... It's like, they all have virtues and then... This one, the evil one is like, he was considered the most strong. And I'm like, all right, well, great. <laughs> you can tell that guy's the bad guy. Because everyone else has, like, a moral part of them <laughs> that you brag to me. It's like, oh, but this guy, he can lift things up really good. <laughs> this guy. Can I interject with something really quick? Just before I came on here, I read some post that said, Ayo Ediberi, you know who she is, right? Yes. She's in the bear. She said that she's considering stopping posting on Letterboxd because as an actor, she thinks it is, it is going to be better for her career uh, versus being like, you know, a comedian or a writer where your opinions are supposed to be public I'm, and I'm they're a big part of your you, act. You leading this into like, this is why I'm uh, canceling the podcast right now. This is our final episode. <laughs> Well, no, but it does make it difficult to go to get into something like Mordu, where I, I don't, I really don't like, I don't like hate it, and I don't wish ill will to any of the filmmakers, but it's just kind of, it's just kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to say it's like obvious screenwriting, because I'm not like the world's greatest screenwriter, or even really a screenwriter, but it does just seem like 
like what we talked about when you introduce all the brothers like why do all the brothers look the same like why aren't they obviously like kind or compassionate or anything like that why is the spell the witch gives the evil prince so complicated why are there why are there lines that like the the prince um the prince is already jealous and thinks that the throne should be his when his father dies because he thought that the father was going to say that oh my eldest will get inherit my kingdom and then there's a line that says and then the seed of jealousy grew in his heart i was like well, the 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 seed the jealousy was already there yeah i feel like you know how like they made all those like disney reboots like Cruella and maleficent it's like the bad guy had a point i feel like there's definitely something there for more do because I I listen to this thing and it's like, well, this is how like the king I presume like characterized them. And you know, if I hear my brother is like the most kind, the most um, the most uh, intelligent, and I hear from me, oh, you're the most strong. I I'm going to be very resentful. And then when you hear it like the deathbed, like also yeah, I don't trust you with my whole kingdom. You, I'm I want you to split it up. Yeah, I mean, I think Mordu has a point to be annoyed about this, you know? It's like, why are you telling me this at the end of your life when it seems like my entire life you've only viewed me as a strong guy? You don't see any other merits in me other than I'm buff. And then you're supposed to side against Mordu because this is like how history has been written. I don't really follow you. Okay, so if I'm the king, right, and I go, here are my children. This one is the kindest one you'll ever know. This one's the one who's the most concerned about true justice this one is one of the smartest people in the land. And this, this my firstborn, he's the strongest one of them all. And by, like, strongest, I mean physical strength, not like anything else. I feel like <laughs> the eldest son, in that regard, has a very strong reason to be resentful. Because your father is talking about all your other, all your brothers in terms of their character. And, like, how good they are as people. And in your case, you're just a bruiser, you know? And then, on his deathbed... You're called in, and for the first time ever, you're told, I want to split it up between all four of you instead of giving it all to my son, which is what tradition means, right? And, you know, there's also, there's a great point here, I feel like, I just thought when I just said that, to kind of pivot away from what I'm making, even though you can respond to that too, is that if this is meant to be, like, you know, brave, right? This is, what this short really is, is there's exposition in Brave, we're going to lay it all out to you with marginally a bit more detail, but with storybook animation, because we don't want to devote, like, a full animation style to this. But hey, you know, it will look cool, because it's coming from Pixar. But if we are to tie in more due to Brave's themes, shouldn't there be a point here that more do is wronged? Because father breaks tradition? Like, shouldn't there be, like, a... not You know what I mean? Like, there should be a connecting point here of, like, tradition is that we didn't split up the kingdoms. But we broke up tradition, and this is what happened. And that's why we're afraid to have Merida, like, break tradition, right? That, that should be a connecting tissue between this myth that sets up Brave and the film Brave itself. But Brave itself never makes that connection. I agree with that, but I mean, I don't know how much I, how excited about this I can That has be. nothing to do with the short. <laughs> yeah, the backstory. I, I don't know. The, the, the connection between the different clans in Brave and the kingdom of this story is super unclear to me. I kind of thought going in that this story would kind of clear that up. I assume that the three brothers were like the three clans, right? That we see in Brave. And then in this, it's like, no, they all died. And they, all there's, like, Mordu killed them all, and no, no one really survived. And it's like, 
Okay? <laughs> like, what? Yeah, I'm just like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> and to your point about him hearing that his father likes his other sons more than him, what's there doesn't support that reading. I don't well, think okay. there's anything My- to suggest that he is... As, well, no, as no, no, like no, 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 the no, strong no, no, one. No, no, no. Okay. What I was saying was, what I was saying was, is there is potential here for a Maleficent or Cruella about Mordu taking that angle. I'm not saying the short actually supports that, but I think it certainly supports that interpretation more than, oh, Maleficent was actually a good fairy that everyone hated because she, because she broke it off with the king. And there's nothing in Sleeping Beauty that you can even try to grab that from. But here, in Mordu, I'm like, here's a spitball take that I literally can get off of one watch of this short. Well, okay. I, I, I still mean. don't know if I like follow you in entirely, but I support you. I think the actual problem with The Legend of Mordu, and I feel like we have at least one listener who, like, studied classics is going to be, like, mad about this take from me, because he's going to be like, not all myths are like this, but I'm going to spoil the opening of Oppenheimer right now, the first five seconds of Oppenheimer. Is that okay? Oh, uh, I guess it's, so. It's related. It's related. Oppenheimer opens with footage of, like, an explosion well, over it, um, let me get the exact quote, and you can cut off me, sir. I'll, I'll actually give you a clean take, okay? I'll over give you a clean it, the take. words Oppenheimer play? No, I kind of want to leave this in, because I think it's funny that you can't remember the first five well, seconds it's actually of very, it's very. No, 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 no. I want to get the exact wording, because I actually think the, the exact wording is really good, and that's the point I'm trying to make. I, I'm curious if it's um, what I think it is, but maybe you'll, you know. All right, all right. So Oppenheimer opens with footage of just an explosion, and over it comes the words, Prometheus stole fire from the gods and gave it to man. For this, he was chained to a rock and tortured for eternity. And that's it. I'm like, beautiful way to open this movie. Beautiful thesis statement. Completely also sums up the myth of Prometheus in two sentences. Wow. I think all myths, all good myths, you can do something like this. I'm not the person, I'm not Christopher Nolan, but I'm also not someone, you know, who like knows myths on top of their head that could like sum it up like this. I think any classic myth though, you can sum up in two or three sentences like this. (laughs) You can't do that for the Legend of Mordu. You can't. That's the point I'm trying to make here. It's like, this is supposed to be like a legend or a myth. And I don't think it gives you any simple lessons that like a fable or a myth really could. Are you wowing at that being the opening to Oppenheimer? Or like, oh, wow, that's a very poetic way to put the story of Prometheus or what? Ah, I mean, I don't know. I think that that's that's actually not the opening of Oppenheimer, I thought. I thought the opening of Oppenheimer was going to be something like the opening of The Last Temptation of Christ, where it's like, the this is based on Jesus Christ or something like that. And these this is like the filmmaker's interpretation of what happened because i've heard people say that the film is very like explicit about you know things being war crimes and stuff even though it's about oppenheimer and him as a man so i thought it was going to be like contextualizing it or, or or the end of um prince of egypt or something like that but pretty interesting that it starts with that quote well because it's it's based on the novel american prometheus so that's kind of where yeah. you know they got it from but it is like i'm like that's such a nice poetic way to put it i feel like Two yeah. simple sentences. Everyone pretty much knows the story of Prometheus anyway. But also, to get to the point I'm really trying to make, because I don't really, I'm not really trying to talk about Oppenheimer. I was just curious if you were like, wow. But like, I do think, you know, myths can be summed up in like, at most five sentences, most good ones. And I'd struggle to sum up more do in five sentences. And I don't even like, what is the, I think the message of Prometheus is clear from that I don't think there's any message to more do other than, hey, family's important, I guess. But like, what does, what, what is it? This is, that's really the whole issue though. This is just, 
An expansion of exposition from Brave of the Lore. There's nothing new here you didn't already know from Brave. It's a little bit more fleshed out, but not really in any way that... It just makes it more confusing, if anything, that, that it fleshes out. I don't think this is that good. <laughs> I think I think that's a pretty good analysis of why Mordew feels a little bit less than... But yeah, I agree with that. I do imagine the classics person listening to this, and I think maybe what you want is something more like a fable. I would hate to say that like a myth is supposed to be like this. But either way, the legend of Mordu falls into all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Myth, fable, legend. Well, they're not. I don't. I don't think they're all the same thing. I know they're not the same thing, but like I do think the way it's presented in Brave as like this kind of. I don't want to say creation myth because it's not a creation myth, but like, this is the story of our homeland. It's got magic to it, so we don't know if magic's still real, but here's the story about this mythic bear that haunts us. It feels very much like there's supposed to be a lesson here of like, don't be greedy, but like, it's also more than that. It's like, family's important. I think it's too complicated a story to fit into that framework. And I think none of keeping it even vague, like as vague as this, but still expanding it. We're really the only expansion you get is like, here's the actual scene where he meets the witch in Brave. And it's like, nothing really makes sense. This makes it more confusing because it's like, here's how you break this spell. But I'm not going to tell you how to break it, but I'm going to assume you know how to break it. And it's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? You know, if you had to have something on the DVD, it would be nice to have the story of Mordu. And I think it gives people an opportunity to make some nice battle tableaus it has more the vibe of like when you were a kid and you went to the library and they're like we're gonna show you where the wild things are and it'd be like this video where it's like a pan and scan of the dvd the 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 book illustrations while someone reads aloud max wanted to go to the wild place or something you know you know what i'm talking about did you ever have that experience growing up where you'd watch like a you'd watch a video where it'd just be like a picture book that's what this vibe is to me. I feel like I have, yeah. But then it also, you know, something like Secret of the Kells plays with that in a much more interesting way. Yes, Secret of the Kells is great. Oh, actually, that's not true. Secret of the Kells is good. I think it's the weakest of the three cartoons. Oh, movies. wow. I didn't know I was going to choose the wrong one. No, no, well, no, no. It's still good. It's just like, I like Song, uh, Song of the Sea and Wolf Walkers way more. Wolf Walkers rules. <laughs> I love Wolf Walkers. Wolfwalkers in general is basically, I guess that's what I'd point to, although I guess it's kind of problematic to be like, look at this Irish thing being better than the Scottish thing. But like, Wolfwalkers what I point to as being like, ah, this is what Brave should have been. Ah, good stuff here. Well, I don't know if it's problematic to just say this is a more interesting storybook movie. And Brave's not even a storybook movie. It's a princess movie, yeah. Wolfwalkers isn't a princess movie. I don't know anything I, about Wolfwalkers. That's why I chose Secret of the Kells Apple TV because Plus? I think people have like heard about that. Do you no. have Apple TV Plus? You, ugh, it's so good, man. Wolfwalkers. You gotta find Wolfwalkers. Gotta find a way to watch it. Well, I, I I could get around to it. So, fun fact about Wolfwalkers. I've mentioned it before, but I'm on this... Uh, I still am on this forum. Not as often as I used to be. But every year I still go back around to vote in our like awards ceremony that we have. And it was extremely controversial because of our voting system is that somehow in 2020, best animated feature went to Soul, but best picture went to Wolfwalkers and no one could figure out how that worked. And the thing people figured was like, I think people just voted for like Soul. They just like, they just put their repeat because you're supposed to do ranked voting. I think what happened, everyone was like, I think a lot of people just voted for Soul without ranking anything else. And then the people who voted in best picture who like were the people who just voted for one because they had no follow-up. Yeah, it was just something weird, like, what, the way the voting system worked out. But Wolfwalkers is good. That's all I mean. 
Anyway, I wanted to say one last thing about Mordu before we move on. The ending sucks. The ending also kind of ruins the whole thing, where it's like, haha, we were talking to the idiot character in Brave who had, like, no lines in Brave, but here he's going to chat a lot. And I was just very annoyed by it. Yeah, another <laughs> moment that stuck out to me as weird is he's trying to get out of the cabin after being scared by the story, and he's pulling on the door, and then the witch goes up to him and says, oh, you have to push, dear. And then he drops character to say thank you and then pushes the door open and then runs out screaming. And I'm just like, come on, you had you had the joke when she tells him to push. Who who wasn't there to like look over the shoulder of somebody to be just like cut this part, cut his cut his response. In general, it was just a, like, if you're aiming for this atmosphere, why are you undercutting it all at the end with this dumb joke? <laughs> that was really for me too. It was like, just be like, so you sure you want this, uh, this cake? Ah, ha, 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 cut the credits. <laughs> well, so the blue umbrella. Our boy, Sashka Unselt. I firmly believe I will not be able to talk about this movie without extremely using our explicit tag. So if you're a child listening to this, go away. What? Really? <laughs> yes, that was my one of my thoughts while I was watching the real book. I, I will say this. I think there was, I can't remember what other short there was, but I remember I was saying earlier in this podcast, there was one movie we watched where I just had to, like, yell along with the movie to keep myself into it. Where I was like, no, no, don't do it, no! And that's what I was like with the Brunbella watching it. I was like, no! At multiple points while watching it. Or, oh man! <laughs> like, when stuff happened <laughs> Yeah, the Blue Umbrella really is good at creating harrowing situations. Blue Umbrella, directed by Sashka Unselt, who is... Has made better uh, things. <laughs> well, uh, we're fan we're big fans of him here on the pod. He directed Ali Shao, and he directed Strasheter Specialist in, which... Oh, way better than this. <laughs> I don't know, you know, I think that this, the story is a little simpler and it is less daring like of course it's simpler than strasha and then ali shao is very bold and i think this is fine i think this short exists as a technical exercise i think i think it is an important first step for pixar in a way because this is beginning of pixar really trying to hit that photorealism level which i argue they only ever really get right in that short film piper that we'll eventually get to because this is like more of a pr i think the blue umbrella's best comparison is good dino because the good dinosaur gives you these beautiful vistas like phenomenal animation backgrounds and then it's populated by two characters that look stupid <laughs> like <laughs> like I'll, I'll be real here i i i'm so just at a base level confused about the room blue umbrella as like a conceptual piece because you go out of your way to introduce this short film with we're gonna go and wiki has a nice fancy word for this word that i've never think called artificial per peridolia where it's like oh look there's natural faces in the grates in the ground in the gutters and then we get through all this setup and then we just see these umbrellas that have winnie the pooh faces drawn onto them and i'm just immediately frustrated as soon as that happens because <laughs> i'm like why would you go to the effort of set setting up like a photorealistic world to try to like prove to me you can get like these characters out of realistic objects and then just draw cartoon faces on your main characters yeah <laughs> like, 
<laughs> uh, well, to be to be clear, I think we both liked this short. No, we don't. No, I don't. Oh, we don't. I think this is a bad short. I just think it's funny. I think it's. I think it's a precursor to. I. I think this is worse than lava because I like music in lava. And the other thing that I think is a very important context for the Blue Umbrella and my hatred of it is a short film that I didn't tell you to watch, but I should have told you to watch. Just homework. Oh, oh which can is... I can I guess it? Can I guess it? Yeah, yeah. Paper Man. Yes. Paper yes, Man comes out. I watched out. Paper Man before we before we recorded this. Okay, I, I did knew not it. rewatch Paper Man. I don't need to rewatch Paper. I think Paper Man is a brilliant short film. I think it's one of the best things Disney's put out in like the last fifteen years. I think that and Feast, which is another Disney short, when Disney was doing these short films to like experiment with that style that they ended up never using for film. Even though it looks like Wish is going to finally, like, utilize the stuff they developed for that. But, like, mm-hmm. Paper Man is a brilliant short film with the same kind of thesis of, like, a meet-cute, like, that's put together by these inanimate objects. But Paper Man, I think, gives you more empathy for the main characters, gives you more empathy for the, like, inanimate objects, and has a much better score. And I think the important thing worth pointing out is Paperman is released to the general public in November 2012. This is released in June 2013. So Paperman was the previous Disney released short film before this. So <laughs> comparing the two of them, this completely <laughs> fails the test. Well, again, it's just just from a story level. I think Paperman understands that people can fall in love and not objects. But I also think that this short film is kind of about objects with human characteristics that happens to have a romantic story inside of it. That's not really why I enjoy watching The Blue Umbrella. I, I mean, I enjoy watching The Blue Umbrella because, again, it also just gets very melodramatic at points. Where it's like, like they're going, he's heading under, they're going to go underground. Oh no, he's going to close the umbrella. Slow motion cut to the umbrella, like pulling himself away. I just start laughing at that because I also just, I can't buy that these umbrellas have any like real sway over their lives too. So as soon as like stuff like that happens, I go, oh no, because I'm thinking about that poor guy who just lost. I'm more thinking about like, this guy lost his umbrella. Oh no. Yeah. And I think that like, it's, it's just, there's just a look between the boy umbrella and the girl umbrella in the beginning of the short, and that's really the only reason they have this connection. And and then the blue umbrella, who's the boy umbrella, tries so hard to get to the girl umbrella. Why? I also just look at this thing, and I'm like, I was thinking about Elemental, which this isn't actually a problem of Elemental, but this comes back to this thing where it's like, all these short films that are about like love stories between objects are always so heteronormative, where there's no mm-hmm. reason to gender the umbrellas. There's no reason these things shouldn't, like, you could just have them be blue and red and have them have like the same eyes and the same mouth. Like, because there's nothing about the blue umbrella that makes them male until you see the red umbrella. You yeah, know? and then like, you're clearly like, that's a girl umbrella. Yeah, and I was thinking <laughs> about that with because El- Elemental, it's like, okay, because they, they are personified elements, so I don't really care that they're gendered, but it's just like, watching this, it's like, this is so dumb. This is just, this is just such, because also, again, like, all the umbrellas in the crowd all have the same eyes, too, as the blue umbrella. So it's just like, why? Why Why did we need to give the girl umbrella <laughs> eyelashes? Yeah, this is kind of a tangent, but it's, it's so refreshing to be here talking about this. I feel like it's such an annoying assumption in a lot of art that there are like like two genders and 
there's the male and the female, and the story is about the male and the female, like, doing male and female things together. What's funny is, I remember seeing the Blue Umbrella in 2013. I saw it twice, because I saw Monsters U twice. I'll get into where I saw Monsters U on the Monsters U episode. But I saw it twice, and both times I thought, because this was before I even, like, cared about any of this stuff, right? And I, I remember thinking, like, this is so dumb that, like, there's a boy umbrella and a girl umbrella. It wasn't that I thought the umbrella shouldn't have gender. It was just, like, why why is this, like, treating like this is a serious love story between a man and woman, but they're umbrellas? I just thought it was so bothersome. And in a way that even, I know I just mentioned, like, Lava does this, too. But the difference with Lava is also that Lava is clearly, like, really, like, a dumb love song sung between a man and a woman. And this is just like, there's just a woman background voices. And I, I know I sang the song at the beginning of this, but I've already forgotten it. In my mind now, umbrella, Blue Umbrella is scored by like the knock, uh, the knickknack score where it's like, wah, 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 wah. Because that's just my feeling when I'm watching it is, wah, wah. Oh no, the umbrella's going to get hit by a truck. Ah! <laughs> like stuff like that. That's, I don't know. I, I, I disagree with you, but I have no reason why that I remember the score for the Blue Umbrella much better than I Oh, well, no, it has something... You, you can't really disagree... Like, it's not an agreement or a disagreement. It's just yeah. that, like, I literally have forgotten the score. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know what to say. I just... I remember the score pretty well. And fun fact about the score, it was done by the vocals Sarah Jaffe and then John Bryan, who did a lot of things... John Bryan's a good composer. Yeah, he was Paul Thomas Anderson's guy before he switched to Johnny Greenwood. But he also recently did Lady Bird, which... It's a good score. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He also apparently was retired from five years and came back for that um, Charlie Day comedy that came out earlier this year. That seemed like it had a lot of names attached to it. I'm glad he has that kind of pull. Yeah, too bad about the Rotten Tomato score. Well, <laughs> I, I, don't, yeah, I have no it's, idea it's what it's got on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got like a 10% or something. Ah, well, the Blue Umbrella... It's, it is so hard to talk about this movie and not talk about Paper Man. I feel like I'm thinking about Paper Man anytime I talk about well, the Blue Umbrella. Well, that's the other thing, too, is, like, I'm trying, to remember, I'm trying to remember the score of the Blue Umbrella, and what comes to mind is the Paper Man score. It's the Paper Man score. Again, I haven't watched Paper Man in, like, three or four years. I remember the score for Paper Man. It's like, I can't hum it to you because that's not that composer's style, but I also, I also remember it because um, in the Ryan Reynolds movie Free Guy, I got really distracted because it's composed by the same guy and he recycled that score for the love theme in Free Guy, and I was just like, man, <laughs> any animation fan is in the audience watching this movie, and I'm like, why are they playing the Paper Man score right now? I do think it gave me a sense of when I, of course I haven't seen The Good Dinosaur of Piper, but when I watched Toy Story 4, and it starts with the rain, I had that same kind of like, wow, this is such a huge leap forward for them technically. Especially after Brave, we it talked is. about it being, you know, maybe not as not as visually confident as Tangled. Even though, of course, the hair is a big technical development. But this this felt so assured about what it wanted to look like, and the tone, and the and I think I think the tone too. Even though it goes all over the place, I feel like it has high highs and low lows. But I feel like it was all very intentional. I don't know. I again, I, I, I come back to this thing. I'm just like, I was um, replying um, to a friend of the podcast, Matt Smith, right before this, talking about the new horror film Talk to Me. And I won't explain why I said this, but I was like, it's not creepy. And then I sent the gif from Glass Onion of Benoit Blanc going, 
it's just dumb. And that's what I feel like my reaction is to this is, it's just dumb. <laughs> like, uh. Anything you say to me, I'm just, I just want to like pull up like Benoit Blanc saying that. It's like, no, I'm sorry. It's, it's just stupid. Like, I, I cannot, other than like, again, I do like the first like five seconds of the short where it's like, here's all these, these things around unnamed Metropolis which, like, are enjoying the rain because they the gutters exist to, like, live in the rain. And it's a nice time for them. Mm-hmm. Like, they enjoy this. I think, too, that the handheld camera and plus the photorealism of the whole thing positions you as the viewer, like, in the film in an interesting way. It's kind of... It's not, it's not very useful I to call it interesting. But it does feel like it creates this atmosphere with the camera and those, those opening moments. I agree to a point, but I... Oh, in the opening moments, yes, I agree entirely. I think once the short introduces slow motion to it, it immediately loses me every time it does that. <laughs> Cause, really? I'm sorry, because to me it's like, again, it comes down to these umbrella designs, which are goofy. And then when you put them in like slow motion looking scared, and I'm just like, how am I supposed to like be seriously concerned for this umbrella? Mm-hmm. Where like, on a, I stick by that. Like if they found a way to like, Maybe, like, have it be, like, there are natural creases in the umbrella, or, like, the umbrella's designs are, like... Here's another thing. I wouldn't mind there being a boy umbrella and a girl umbrella if it was, like, the boy umbrella is, like, designed to look like a typical umbrella, and the girl umbrella is, like, flowers. You know what I mean? That would be, like, a a way I'm willing to, like, okay, sure, I buy the gendered umbrella. This is... (laughs) Well, okay, go on. I don't know. I was just, like... I thought I thought we were really onto something with like why I, do the umbrellas I have bought... to have genders and then you were like well it would be okay if they were gendered but like in this other way. Well, but no, I'm not even saying that like they wouldn't they wouldn't be gendered because one of them would have no gender, the other one would be a girl umbrella. You get what I mean? What? <laughs> what? Uh, well, okay, I guess I see where you're going with that. Like the boy umbrella is interested. How do because... you make a manly umbrella? Tell me how you design a manly umbrella. Well, I don't know. I guess I see what you mean. If one umbrella is noticeably different, then it would be interesting. But then I don't think we understand it as this story of love, which would be totally fine. I would love for it to be, you know, about a car crash and this guy flies through the window, but then he's like reaching out for a girl, and it's like, what are the vibes here? That's a callback to Strasha, but uh, I don't know. Do you think there's a connection between the umbrella, like, looking terrified of being hit by a truck and Strasher's measure? Uh, I mean, he works on so many films, it's hard to, like, it's hard. It's even even with our boy like Sashka, Sashka Unselt, who, to me, even with this film, has, has always excited me. It's still hard to say that it's, like, an auteur thing, you know? I definitely, he's definitely someone who I would, like, want to see him do like more shorts but i don't think i would have any interest in him trying to do like a narrative film in the studio system <laughs> like at pixar i would have no no desire to see him do a pixar movie yeah if he could do like a 65 minute independent animated movie though i'd be like yeah let's go check that out let's see what um sashka's like it's such a beautiful day looks like <laughs> i don't know kid it's kind of like ratatouille if you can create an atmosphere that feels comfortable to me that goes a long way for me and how much I enjoy a movie. I love the feeling of moistness and cold and fog, which I, di- I didn't feel like, like Brave felt kind of vaguely hot or tepid to me, but there's something about, you know, the soft focus and the rain falling on the umbrellas that just puts me in a good place. And I recently rewatched Do the Right Thing, 
which really goes great for movie. like phenomenal movie great movies understand yeah Go on, but sorry. like the <laughs> hottest movie you've ever seen, and of course I love I love like everything about Do the Right Thing. But even if it was like a whatever movie, and it was just how they portray hotness, I would have a really good time watching that. I think I feel the same way about like Andre Tarkovsky movies. It's it's foggy, and these fields of grass have a smell. I love that kind of thing. I don't I don't want to call it a Pixar movie on my Pixar podcast, but I do think actually the best Pixar's ever got it. Like portraying a climate to me has been Luca, because Luca to me is such a ah yeah, it's the summer, but we're by the beach type of movie, mm. and like that is why I always like I always say Luca's probably my favorite of the three recent ones just because it has such a vibe whereas the other two are still more narrative driven which I'm always like yeah Pixar just give me a vibe movie like that's why Elemental works when it's a vibe movie and then when it's not a vibe movie I'm like come on why do I have to have a plot here Mm -hmm. even Luca has that at a point so I was like come on why do I have to have a plot (laughs) like yeah. What I was going to say also, though, about the blue umbrella, if you say is, yes, I agree. There's all this atmosphere here where, like, they're bouncing off the umbrellas. Uh, it'd be great if, like, the rain bounced off the umbrellas' faces instead of just pasting on the faces. I hate that I keep making that point. But, like, also the thing to me about the short, and this is, like, the final, like, punchline to me where it's not supposed to be funny, but it's being played so sincerely that you're like, I don't understand, like, how this could not be viewed as funny, is, like, the, he he chases after his umbrella. He finds it. All this is off camera because they don't they don't animate the whole human model, which is fine. I don't see what the photorealistic humans look like. I think it's best that they're out of frame. But then the girl, you know, the, both these people have, like, matching boots to their umbrellas, but the boots don't have faces. Um, <laughs> but... They, they, it's a meet cute between the two of them, we kind of assume. Because we immediately cut to them at a cafe, chatting in the rain, with their umbrellas. And I'm just like, why are you eating outside? <laughs> That's my frustration here. It's like, there's no reason here other than the umbrellas gonna hang out that they should be outside. If anything, I think it would be nicer if they were eating inside and we panned over to the umbrellas, like, closed but very close to each other. I think that'd be a nicer ending. Mm-hmm. And it would make more sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And it feels cozy, say. too. It's like we escaped the rain, now we're cozy inside. Together. Yeah. Like, but instead it's like, nah, we're just gonna eat outside when it's pouring rain. I'm just like, why would you do that? Yeah. Is it, I don't know, is it not surreal in some ways? This is such a weak defense of it. I mean, I think it's surreal. I don't think it's trying to be surreal, though. I'm just, again, I'm, like, giggling at how ridiculous it gets constantly in this. And that, to me, is, like, the final punchline. Where it's like, oh, look, the umbrellas are hanging out with each other while their owners are somehow holding their umbrellas and eating at a nice cafe with one hand while they hold their umbrella over themselves. And by the way, this cafe has outdoor dining during the rain, but they don't have their own umbrellas to put up at the tables, too. Yeah. <laughs> And I, again, it's one of those things where, like, I get what you're saying. This is going to be a vibe. But again, it's like, it doesn't fully commit to, like, its its conceit of this is what our animation style is going to be. And then furthermore, even without that, it constantly goes to these ridiculous leaps in logic. Because, again, I know you're like, we don't want to only talk about Paperman. But in Paperman, it's like, he is trying to get the attention with the paper planes. None of the paper planes work. And then halfway through the short, he gives up. But then magic happens. Like, that's when the magic finally comes in. This is like, the magic is baked in from the start. Okay, that's fine. But (laughs) then it just starts to feel ludicrous when it's like, oh, the umbrella is scared of being put away. (laughs) 
So it's going to yank itself out of its hand and then get hit by a truck. I just get very mad at it. I'm just, I just am so frustrated watching this. It does make sense. <laughs> and it's like, it's flying its way there. It's like, no, it's being picked up on the wing because everything else here is committed to the photo. That's the other thing too. Is Paper Man also gets away with the magic because it's got that art style that fits it. This is like, it's a realistic art style, but things are alive. Okay. The umbrellas have faces. I guess I have to go along with that. Oh, but the umbrellas also have some of their own autonomy, which none of the other creatures in this world do. Yeah. Well, no, no. I actually, I think a lot of the creatures have limited autonomy. They mean they have as much autonomy as any other of the inanimate objects that we've talked about. It's just like from the very first one with the juggling clown, where like the unicycle can emote, but only using the movement that a unicycle could produce on its own. I actually would push back on that. I think that it's pretty, it's, it is ridiculous that like sometimes they are more magical than other times, but I, I would say that everything moves in a way that it would be able to move. I know this is annoying when I've heard this an episode where Danny just keeps repeating the same point over and over again, but I'm going to do it again. I think all this would work better if we just found a way to put faces on those umbrellas that wasn't just pasting on cartoon faces. Because again, maybe maybe if they all followed that rule of like what the world looks like, maybe I'd be able to buy it. I feel like you'd have to change a lot about how it ends. Pan over, it. both umbrellas close, but they're holding on to each other. Anyway, I was going to say, I realize, I, I realize at this point, I'm like, why did Danny warn this part's going to be explicit? Is I don't know. At the multiple points there, I was like, damn, how are these umbrellas going to fuck? <laughs> It's another issue. Because, you know, people people were making those jokes about Elemental, where it's like, how are these guys going to have kids? And I saw the, you know, fan art. Fan art's already solved this, you know. Does it not fan address that like, in the film? No, it doesn't. But, you know, it'd just be steam babies. Who cares? They could have steam babies. It's like, because, you know, it's like, I can just assume, like, because, you know, I've watched Avatar Last Airbender. I can assume how all these babies, like, these, um inter-elemental like babies would work out you know fire and rock would be like a lava baby right that that makes sense mm -hmm. like water and fire a steam baby water and rock i guess it's a mud baby sorry kid you're, you're mud sorry. maybe it's wise that they don't ex explain what their kids would look like because then you get into a lot of like i don't know maybe um like a multi-racial allegory would actually work in that case i don't know i haven't devoted a whole lot of thought to how elemental works I think it makes more sense than cars. So I, I will, I will put that in. I think the elemental world makes marginally more sense than cars. Cars is not supposed to make sense. I will say, actually, you know, my big elemental complaint is, and I've been saying this to people at work, where this this part of the world makes no sense to me. It's like, so the water elementals live in a pool. And I just find this so confusing because I feel like if you were like made of water, the one place you wouldn't want to live into is water. Because you'd wake up, you'd be like, "Oh no, where are my body parts? Like we've I've melted completely across this body of water that I'm like this dead, basically this dead substance that makes up myself." Does that make sense? It's yeah, not it like, makes sense. The fire people don't live like the fire people don't live in like a fireplace. They live just in a house. And the fire we see the fireland, and it's not like a volcano or anything. It's like they still live in huts and houses there. So why do the water people live in a pool? I, I can't speak on Elemental. Because <laughs> it's because I haven't seen it. I haven't, like, I have got, I've got theater things that I need to see before Elemental. There's also, like, but yeah, there's, oh, you meant movie theater things. Yeah, there's, I can think of three better movies that are out right now that are worth your time seeing off the top of my head. More than three are definitely there, but off the top of my head, yeah. God, Ayo Edebiri just haunts 
she's like staring over the back of my shoulder. I gotta see her new movie, Teenage Mutant Ninja whenever Turtles. Whenever you say stuff like that, oh, that's good that she's in that. <laughs> maybe, maybe her comment was about like long ago. She said she hated the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I was having this conversation at work, and I'm curious. Are you? Are you? I have a thesis, okay, where I think every child. There are, you know, multiple things, like, when you're a kid, like, it's, like, Marvel or DC. You can like both, but you do like one a bit more, like, uh, Batman or Superman, you know, stuff like that. And I think Ninja Turtles and Transformers are one of those, personally. You can like both of them, but I think everyone has a specific favorite between those two. And I think mine, mine is Transformers. Well, mine would be Ninja Turtles because I watched way more of that content when I was younger, and I only had Transformers through Michael Bay. For me, anyway, I wasn't, like, getting hooked on Transformers because of those movies. It was because of Michael Bay and the visual effects. I watched Transformers animated. Yeah. See, I think that's what would get you into Transformers. But for me, I watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like, every Saturday morning. So I actually had a connection to the characters in understandably cheap Saturday morning animation. So I, I, I think I was more of a Ninja Turtles kid myself that's what's so that's why i keep saying about the new one we were talking about it at work because actually it, someone brought out that it came up to came out well someone asked me if it came out today because they know i'm the movie guy and i was like yeah it does i need to see i really want to see it and like all of us were like yeah it looks good let's go like we all want like and i think that's interesting you know like people get spider-verse credit for a lot of things but i do think spider-verse if anything like the first one really started making it okay for like not constantly online nerds to be like yeah i'm excited for this animated movie because people like the spider-verse movies and like they look more mature and ninja turtles kind of has that art style too where it's like yeah the new ninja turtles and i think it's really interesting because again i've like i've never been into ninja turtles as a property i'm like the new one looks good like yeah I, I'm, I'm very excited to see it so i guess there's four movies out that you could see that look good about two weeks ago i was coming out of the subway and i overheard some woman on her phone she must have been a little bit older than we are and she was talking on her phone saying that spider-verse is the best animated movie i've ever seen well, don't read up about don't read up about the animators on it <laughs> well, that would require her to be online, and I don't think That's people true. are. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty excited for the new Ninja Turtle, though. I don't know. I was reading also this thing today. This is a this is the what Danny's been reading on Twitter today. Where I read this tweet where it was like, there's this discourse going on right now about how you know like Barbenheimer, but also you know the summer in general has really been because last year it was like Top Gun, right? Top Gun was like the movie, and yes, there were other stuff out that did well, but no one ever talked about them. You know, this summer it's like people have been talking about Spider people have been talking about guardians of the galaxy people have been talking about little mermaid takes and of course people have been talking about barbenheimer right um like this, this is a much more evenly spread summer even if barbie is like the mammoth in the room but one thing that there's a big discourse going around twitter right now where it's like talking in a movie theater is really an issue right now where people like pulling out their phones to take pictures of the screen and i saw this tweet where it's like someone was talking during like the emotional high point of barbie not not the ending it's like like you know the second you know this is not spoiler to say that you know barbie even though it's like very fun and creative still follows like you know this is how story structure works type of things. And it's like the second act emotional turn into the third act, basically. And like these people were like loudly talking in the theater and someone like told them to shut up and like their response was, well, you know, some parts of movies are boring. We can talk during that. And it's like, <laughs> I'm like, there are people who watch movies like that, like go to comedies like, oh, this is the dramatic parts. So I can like ignore this. I just find that so bizarre to me. I don't. This, this really? is some, this is something, I mean, I've, I think we've talked about this on the podcast, and this is something that separates me from maybe you, but I think like especially when we had Tyler on, I am really not opposed to people talking in a theater space. 
No, 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 no. But I think this is very important. The Tyler conversation and the conversation about talking in theaters are different things. Tyler's issue is that people shouldn't go to Marvel movies and cheer when cool things happen. That's, he's not, he doesn't have an issue, I mean, he probably does have an issue about talking in theaters, but the Tyler conversation is explicitly about audiences going to the movies and, like, clapping at moments when, like, characters show up, which is how Marvel movies are designed nowadays, for the most part, or, like, clapping at the end of a sequence, or, you know what I mean, like, he's, he's got an issue with that. I'm talking about people who just are, like, in the theater going, like, talking about, like, whatever bullshit they're gonna do later in the day. That's, that's what this conversation is about. It's not like people talking about, like, actually, you know what, what story I should share? It's how I walked out of theater camp last weekend. Oh, yeah, you only messaged me about that. I don't think that's online, on the pod. Okay, so, Mark knows this story, but this last Friday, I tried to do the Barbenheimer, but I'm the only person making this joke, because everyone else is doing, like, the Saw Patrol joke, which I feel like has to be pushed by both Lionsgate and Paramount. I don't think that's a real thing. I feel like all that is, I know a false flag is a politically charged term, but Saw Patrol is a false (laughs) flag. Saw Patrol is a false flag. (laughs) I I feel like it's gotta be. There's no way anyone's legitimately like, oh, yeah, let's go see Saw. I'm not sure that false flag is even, like, the right way to describe that that's that's not that's not what a false flag is i'm let me see if psyop is the right word i i think you know a manufactured event is what it is but i think you know manufactured event is kind of a vague term i don't think you make that more specific by calling it a flag. <laughs> anyway but i was doing my own like joke follow-up to barbenheimer which i was calling haunted camp which was I was going to see the new Haunted Mansion movie and Theater Camp back-to-back. So I went to see Haunted Mansion. I surprisingly liked it. I don't need to get into why. There's a lot of discourse online over it that I'm rolling my eyes at by people who haven't seen the movie. Isn't that the story of online discourse in general? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, but then I go to see Theater Camp. And the trailers start, and it's me. There's one other person behind me. It's just like another person at my age. She's like solo outing the movie theater. And then there's like this older couple right in front of me. And it's pretty chill. It's relaxed. You know, the older couple in front of me, you know, we get the poor things trailer and they go like, that looks weird. And that's like the only reaction to the trailers we get. Um, but anyway, then Nicole Kidman comes on and in walks like six, like college age. I want to call them kids, but I feel like that might make me like sound old. Like these kids that are in college when I'm 28 and they're probably like four or five years younger than me, Max. Um, but anyway, these college students come in, they go like, oh yeah, we didn't miss it. They're clearly drunk. Uh, but it's again, it's like, it's a comedy. I don't necessarily care. I just don't want them like talk during the movie. Unfortunately, it pretty clearly becomes, they're like, it's not even, this isn't like someone who's like talking rudely during a movie. This is just like, these are the people who like feel the need to repeat lines back that the movie said. They're like, oh, that's funny. Like they just said that. And I'm just like, oh my God. But anyway, as soon as they walk in, the older couple in front of me immediately, like, looks at each other and looks annoyed. The logos appear, the movie begins, and there's a line, and these people go like, Oh, yeah, yeah, I can't believe we made it in time. And the man in the couple goes, Excuse me, can you guys please be quiet? We're trying to watch the movie. And it's like, all right, this is, this is, immediately, I'm like, I, I avoid confrontation. I want to point out also, these drunk people are sitting right behind me, and the elderly couple is right in front of me. So it's basically, he's shouting over me, and they're shouting over me too. Because they get quiet for a second, but then, like, the next joke happens, and they do that thing where, like, they repeat the joke back, and, like, are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's funny, yeah. And then this guy immediately stands up and walks around to stand behind me and goes, you people are being incredibly rude. 
I'm trying to watch the movie. Can you please stop? And they're like, what do you mean you're trying to watch the movie? You're distracting us from the movie, old man. Why are you trying to talk to us? And then, like, he's like, you just didn't, like, they're just shouting at each other. And eventually the guy walks back. And I'm just sitting there in silence while he's clearly grumbling. And they're, like, still talking here in the movie. And I'm like, I missed the first five minutes of this movie. So I walk out and get a refund. Okay, I guess this really has nothing to really do with my point, because I feel like drunk people going to movies is something you're going to deal with regardless. I don't think that's like a pandemic new thing. I remember I saw monster trucks drunk. Like, it's something that happens. You know, people want to go see a movie drunk. Granted, I don't, I don't know. It was a Friday night. Those old people should know what they're getting into, too. But also, I don't know. It's like, I think it's a little different than this thing specifically with Barbie. Because it's like, Barbie is like this new movie that's like selling out every showing. And it's like, just because there's like people there where it's like, they don't want to watch it. It's like, what? Like, what is this? I don't even mind taking photos of the screen as much as I annoy. People talking annoys me more than that. I People want to take a photo of the screen. I don't care. This is something that I feel strongly enough about that even when it annoys me, I will defend it. I think that if you're in a public space, then there is an amount of disruption that is okay. And let me actually make that more specific because I was watching another video about almost this very thing. I don't mean this about like you know, platforming Nazis or something like that because of, like, free <laughs> okay. speech. Well, you, you, I don't know. You have to, like, live in my brain with my internet diet to know why I'm like, oh, but not, not that thing that I watched a video about two days ago. My thought about, like, presenting art to an audience is I think that audience should be allowed to accept or reject that art. Like, you cannot make them sit. I, I especially am annoyed when people are like, you need to, like, sit still uh, during a piece of art or something like or like you can't leave you know once you've like sat in a theater you know even on something like broadway it's just like shit's more important than like fake people on stage man obviously don't be like oh man how was the game last night and then like get up and you know get on your phone and then like walk around and shit and like fuck up with stuff like that but there's just like sometimes you need to be a little disruptive because there's an emergency or something and also like some sometimes you're just like not feeling a work of art and then i don't personally think that you should like disrupt other people's experience of that work of art but then i also think that like it's also okay i also think there's a lot of a lot of theatrical experiences are not like you know if i get my ticket for the eight hour satan tango marathon i have different expectations about that and about the audience that i'm going into versus like you said like friday night let's go see theater camp yeah and also i feel like pointing out also it's the 9 20 p.m showing that's the thing too i kind of was like all right this to me this makes sense that there's drunk college students here at 9 20 at like the late show of theater camp that is logical to me. I had no problem with that. My problem was I left because I felt tense because these people in front of me and the people behind me were like yelling at each other. Yeah, I'm not. That's why I left. It wasn't, but no, no, go on. Sorry, no, I wanted to clarify. Well, I'm not, I'm just pulling a title out. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and I'm not saying that like, I haven't seen Theater Camp or actually Satan Tango. And I'm not saying that like, you couldn't get as much out of one as you could the other. But because of, because of the way that we think about these films all, you know, without even having seen them, you kind of have an expectation of what the audience is going to be like going in. I want to get back, though, to where the central setup here was of me telling this thing, where the point was these were people at Barbie right now who, you know, they want to be part of this big cultural moment that everyone's seeing Barbie. But it's like, again, like you were like, I'm, I'm this person's like, 
I'm. This is a boring part of the movie. I'm allowed to talk. It's like, no, you. People here spent money to be here. You being loud. If you want to whisper to your friend during it, that's different. I again, I wasn't in this thing. I'm going off the tweet, but the tweet said they were loudly talking about something completely unrelated to the movie during the emotional like turning point of the film. Just because, and their response was, movies have boring scenes. We're allowed to talk during them. You're allowed to talk during them if you're watching it at home. If some people around you have spent $20 to go see it, you can whisper or you can go to the lobby and come back in five minutes when the scene is over. You should not be ruining it for everyone else there by being loud. There is a responsibility not to the performers, but to the other people in the audience who spent money to be there. I'm not even saying, I'm, I'm saying this very specifically, like talking loudly during a movie that just came out during presumably primetime showtimes, you know, again, 920 at theater camp, I kind of expected it. That older, that older couple could, should have expected it too. The comedy that's going to attract college people, they're going to be drunk on a Friday night. That's, that's different. I think going to the Barbie movie and like, you know, talking about like, this was the emotional turning point. Okay. So clearly you're not going, you, you're not going like late at night on a Friday. I feel like if you want to be emotionally moved by the Barbie movie, that's a hot take for me, I guess. It's like, no one wants to be emotionally moved by the Barbie movie at 11 a.m. at night, 11 p.m. at night. Um, I don't know. That's my whole thing. It's like, I don't even care about the phones. Like, I really don't. If someone pulls out their phone at me at the Dolby, like the AMC Dolby, where it's like, again, I have A-list, so I don't even mind at the Dolby myself. But like, if someone pulls out their phone and like, is on like, scrolling Twitter, scrolling Instagram, I'm probably not going to care. It's got, I'm going to be like, a little annoyed, but I'll be like, whatever. Like, you know, I'll roll my eyes and I'll keep watching the movie. But if people next to me are like, loudly talk, I remember when I saw, I, I said that, I said this actually I just listened back to our um our Barbenheimer live episode. I said like I hate when people next to me during a movie are like, oh come on, like you know, or like I remember when I saw Guardians of the Galaxy three, and I think now the opening is like up for spoilers. Is okay, it's on Disney Plus. Is like there's a moment at the end of the movie where Groot like says I love you guys, and it's clearly like it's supposed to be like a perception shift of like we are now close enough to Groot. Okay, maybe it's not clear first watch that like it's, but it's also like clear from the characters reacting. It's not like he's saying anything they haven't heard before. You know what I mean? It's not like framed like a big moment. None of the characters react to it. It's just Ben Diesel gets to go, I love you guys, into the mic. And then the person next to me goes very loudly, oh, now, now you can say something else. And I'm like, you feel the need to like interject that? Like, what, what, where do you think you are? <laughs> I, well, that person sounds like a douchebag. And if I were there, I would be like really annoyed by that. But I still think that that is part of the theatrical experience if you are like in a crowd of people watching a movie that's just gonna be part of it like i can't expect everyone to i can't expect everyone to respond to the movie in the same way that i can and i really think that like the amount that i tolerate that is entirely dependent on my own patience it's not something that is objectively wrong with the way they're you know responding to a movie it sounds it sounds kind of like complaining about awkward people they just they just move in the world in a different way my main point i actually wanted to point out here is like the whole idea to me that like and this is just this is just me being me it's like the whole idea that like movies have boring spots that are meant for you to like not pay attention to it's just such a, like a, like what are you talking about like the movie can be boring and it not work for you but like being like oh yeah they explicitly put this in here so there was a boring spot so i can talk it's just such like a, like what are you talking about to me like 
like do you does does every story look like work like this for you it's like oh here's the boring part where i can take off my phone historically yes but like i understand why you might not want that to be the case but like if you're by yourself on you know if you're watching a movie in your home then there are definitely times when you can like turn to the people around you and talk and I've, I've also been, I've been at some screenings with people where we're all like drunk and we're like the only people in the theater and we're like eating food and talking. And I know, no, 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 I know what you're responding, but let me like, let me get there. I don't think you know what I'm responding, but you can go on. I, 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 something just popped in my head. Okay, mind. okay. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying that like in all of these situations, I am kind of going out of my way to say like, I am alone and this is how I would act when I'm alone or I'm with a small group of friends. But even then, I think that it's not unreasonable to feel that people would like extrapolate from that and then go into a movie and say that like there are parts of it that you can talk over also i want to say this and i know you have something that you want to mention but a lot of i have a very strong pivot that is very related but go on it's related to this topic not related to blue umbrella but go on i think of tweets the way some people describe ghost stories because a lot of ghost oh, okay, stories yeah. purport to be like perfect accounts of true events and then people who you know specialize in this kind of thing take the time and get into the the meat of it and you know go searching around and then it often turns out not to be the case i enjoy finding like good jokes on twitter but i'm not going to get in mad about something that may or may not exist well 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 minor pivot and then my big one which is recently i was Julius told me this incredibly funny story about the second time they saw Oppenheimer, which I won't tell on the podcast because Julius may or may not be coming on pretty soon. And if they come on, we can ask them when they're here. Um, but I, I screenshotted it and sent it to a couple friends, you know, like cropping out Julius. Like this funny story really just happened to my friend. And people were like, oh, bullshit, your friend's trying to get you. I'm like, Julius has no reason to try to like prank me with this story. This isn't a conversation that they're telling just me. Why, why would they bullshit me on this, you know? And I was just very frustrated about that. But my stronger pivot here. So... <laughs> This is going to be a really interesting topic, I think, to breach, because it might vague on the, it might veer on the point of real shit. But I think about our road trip from college. There are multiple memories from that trip that you know that really stick out in my mind. I think about Toby, which is a story I'm not telling right now. Eventually, Toby will be told on this podcast the story of Toby. Probably when we have a guest who doesn't know it. Oh, I had to, I had to think, and I was like, oh man, you don't want to drop the story of Toby? I think about the dead Toby? body we saw in Salt Lake City. I think about the story about the time that we should have mentioned during our Finding Nemo episode, um, where we got stalked by like a homeless guy at the Mormon temple. But I also think about the Grand Canyon. And the thing I think about the Grand Canyon is, it's weirdly probably like one of my most negative associations with you, which is we were sitting by the Grand Canyon... And I think I like made a, I don't even remember what quick joke I made, but you like said very tersely to me, it's like, don't ruin this for me, Danny. Like you were in incredibly intense. And I was like, okay. And then I got really quiet during the sunset. And I think about that all the time, not all the time, but like, I think, I think about it in relation to this conversation. Cause even though, yes, that is not art, that is like na nature. And like, it was something that we were only going to experience once. But I think about that because I think that is actually maybe the harshest time you've ever been like, I don't want to be like, you were mean to me. Because it was also like, it was a valid like annoyance that like I was trying to make a bit out of the Grand Canyon sunset. But it was also just like very like real to me where you're like, you need to shut up right now. And I was like, 
And I don't know why. It really sticks out on me on that trip as, like, the one, like, negative memory I really... Well, besides Toby. But it's, like, a funny negative memory. And it's, I feel weird that I'm airing it out now because I think we've never talked about this I don't moment think we have either. Before. Um, um, but I, I intensely remember it as, like, suddenly, like, oh, damn, I'm, I'm, like, getting too annoying for Mark right now. And it's weirdly... It's one of those things where, you know, like, there was a moment at work recently where this kindergartner walked up to me and it was like, you're being way too loud and rude right now. I was like, wait, you don't think it's funny when I'm not... Like, no, it's annoying. And I was, like, really actually hurt by this. And I was like, dang, like, I, I thought I was being funny to you guys. And she's like, no, nah, you're just annoying. And I was like, ooh, I feel bad about this. And it was, like, one of those things, where, you know, like, as, like, someone, I feel like, you know, we talked about this before. Every podcast has, like, a mic and a Sully. And, like, I'm always the mic on all of my podcasts. And I feel like, you know, the mic is just, like, you know, this, the mic is, like, the Seth Rogen. And every friend group has them. And I think I generally slot into that archetype. And I feel like that person is always, like, petrified of being like, oh, no, my bits aren't working or, like, this is not a good time for them. And then when they're told off by it, they're immediately, like, reflecting on themselves a ton. Anyway, all I'm saying is, is during this moment at the Grand Canyon when you're like, stop it, you're ruining this moment. That just popped my head because you're like, I don't mind when people ruin moments at all, like, to me. And it's like, again, like, we're talking about art and it's like, you can rewatch Barbie at home. And this is not the exact same thing. But I think about this whole thing in relation to what you're saying, and I'm like, how does this? How does this? I seem, I seem like a, like a become... hypocrite. Yeah. Yeah, mm. like, like, and I also like, I also feel like, you know, I've never brought this up before to you, like how this like still bothers me years later at points. But like, it doesn't even really bother me. I was, I always am like, damn, I feel like that was probably the worst I ever was to Mark, and I still feel bad about it type of thing too. But also, I was just doing a bit. I don't even remember what the bit was. Yeah, I don't actually but, like, remember. Also, again, I get it. I'm sure this is one of those things where you might not even remember doing this. You, like... Well, it's so weird because I remember a lot of things that I do that aren't cool. It's funny when people are like, oh, that like embarrassing moment. Like You never think about that again. And I'm like, I think about that stuff all the time. I just, I don't know. That's just kind of seemed like untrue to me. Well, for I don't know. First, I wanted to say that I'm like, sorry for that. It's okay. <laughs> I don't want to be like, I don't want to like lay it on too much, but it's like that memory is associated more to me with the Grand Canyon sunset than the Grand Canyon sunset itself was you being like, not right now, Danny. Is I mean, it's so wild because I don't actually remember us. I remember now us watching the sunset because we got down on that ledge and we kind of had it to ourselves and that was nice. But, uh, man, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry about that because I think that was like... I have no memory of this moment, but it must have been some moment where I was just like, exactly like I said earlier, it's like you run out of patience or something. And that's why I said it like that. And I really shouldn't have, because I really do feel like that. Like there was, I, I think that listening back to it, there was probably something like that was obviously like important to me. And I probably should have just been like, hey man, this is like, I think this is a pretty special time and we should just be quiet, but... I would have probably still felt kind of bad about it, but not, like, to the same extent of, like, it lasted with me for these years. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry, I really don't... Well, no, you're like... fine. I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to th I'm trying to think through it, because I don't, I don't know, I don't totally know what to, like, uh, I don't know. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tie it back to my, what I'm saying about art, because I don't actually think they're contradictory, but I'm trying to do it in a way that's not, like, dismissive of the hurt that I gave you, you know? I mean, that's fine. Like, I get you. I get, I get it. I get it. I think, I think that is a perfect example of just, like, it totally depends on your level of patience. Because, 
you know, like you said, with those old people, and now we're combining anecdotes, and it's all, you know, different circumstances, but, like, I, th- I think I agree with you, like, they probably were in the wrong theater, but, like, they had had it. I think they could have just got a refund like you did. I think that it really does depend, like, place to place, and the Grand Canyon, I think I would put up there in, like, an eight-hour Satan Tango screening, you know, obviously higher, but, like, in terms of importance... Maybe we were on different wavelengths going into that experience about, like, how we should be in that moment. I mean, I get you, but, again, it's also, like, it's one of those things, this is, like, more of, like, a deep, like, seated psychological thing, where, again, it comes down to, like, being being the Seth Rogen of a group, or being, like, the Mike of a group, is, like, in a way, you know, this is just how I'm always going to be, and it's, like, at that point in our life, I'm just kind of, like, at this point, you know who I am, Mark, like, you know, like, this is, like, my attitude, and you know you're here with me, so like I don't know. It's I, and it's also like I also see the argument to be like, well, like okay, let me finish my thought, and then I'll be like, here's the counter argument that I feel like is very valid as well. It's like you know this is me, you know this is how I am, and this is how I was gonna act at the Grand Canyon. The counterpoint is, of course, Danny, you know how I am and how I'm gonna be at the Grand Canyon, so you should have known this would be how I react. But I also say that like. I don't know. It's a big complicated thing where it's like, here's who we are and here's how we interact. And this interaction like weirdly like edged against each other in a way it doesn't normally like with the friction. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like, but also it's one of those things where it came off more like in the moment as like, stop it, Danny, you're being annoying in general, not just specifically this moment, even though you said not right now, it was like, it's still like. Ah, man, am I always like this and he doesn't want to talk to me? Like, he just doesn't want to confront me like this type of thing. And, you know, I'm very insecure as a person. And this is also, this was like five years ago now, I think. So, so it's like, I don't know. It's like this weird thing where it's like, you know, I appreciate the apology. It's still like, it's one of those things where it's like, it still happened. It was maybe something that was just unavoidable to happen at some point on that trip, just because of how different we are, which is also why we're friends. That's why we have this podcast. Um, but it's like, it's one of these weird, but I feel like every, you know, friendship has a moment like that. I know I'm not going to say them, you know, but I know I've had that moment with Julius before I've known I've had that moment with Sarah before. I think that is something, you know, that always happens with Lynn. Again, it's something where, you know, people fit into archetypes of like friendships and, inherently you know if you're you're probably gonna get the least along with someone who you know if you know what i mean like probably if i meet like another Seth rogan type it's like that's the person you get most on edge with yeah but like i definitely yeah i definitely feel that way i'm like i'm very opposed to people that i see parts of myself in i gotta say also sorry <laughs> never mind i'm not gonna say it i just you for some reason when you said that well i'll just say it really quickly i got in it wasn't even an argument. I was talking to, about Oppenheimer with some people, like, in a Discord I'm on yesterday. And out of nowhere, like, the younger people were just like, man, the scariest thing about Oppenheimer is, like, it could have been you making those decisions. I was like, what, what movie did you watch? <laughs> <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you talking about? It could have been, if you were an Oppenheimer, like, if I was Oppenheimer, I would have made those same decisions. I'm like, what are you talking Like, that's not what this movie was about at all. <laughs> like, mm. But anyway, um... I don't know. It's just, you know, there are personality types. I think about this also, too, where it's like, <laughs> this also might be like maybe divulging too much, but who knows? Maybe a potential partner down the road will be like listening to all the podcasts of this and then come across. It's like, I think, you know, as someone who hasn't really been in a real relationship, I don't think I have many deal breakers, but I do think someone who like talked during, it doesn't, it's not even like, they could be someone who's not like interested in going. I was, okay. 
I'll call someone out on the podcast, and I won't use names. But a future podcast of the guest of this show told me that they we were talking about Barbenheimer, okay? And they're like, I'm going to see Oppenheimer by myself, but my girlfriend does not want to see Barbie in the theater, so I'm waiting for streaming on that because she doesn't want me to go without her. I'm like, I could date someone who would be okay with me, like who like maybe wouldn't want to go to the theater all the time. In fact, in a way, I feel like I would probably, I don't know who my potential match is. Again, if if someone in the future I'm dating and listens to this podcast is like, I love going to the movies with Danny. What is he talking about? But I feel like I could survive in a relationship where like a partner would not want to go to the movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think in a way, I think about the movie Patterson, where in Patterson at the end of the. I don't know if you've seen Patterson with Adam Driver, but in that movie, it's like, it's just the daily life of Patterson, who's the bus driver in this small town. And it's like, it's just his life every day. He goes and gets a beer and then he like goes to the movies by himself or something like that. I'm like, that seems like a night, like they both have alone time in the evening. It's like that the wife does something at home, which you don't see because the movie follows Patterson and Patterson like gets a beer and goes to the movies. I'm like, that, that seems like a valid like thing is like, you know, you like movies. I don't. Or maybe, actually, I think now I'm Patterson. I think, like, every Sunday they go to the movies together, and that's, like, their activity. And they talk about the movie afterwards intellectually because it's a Jim Jarmusch movie. So it's like, ah, oh, yeah, of course the characters like this. But anyway, I'm saying that, like, in a world where, like, Adam Driver always goes out and spends two hours at the bar by himself relaxing and writing poetry, I feel like, you know, I could easily be in a relationship where, like, every, like, Tuesday we go our, like, a, like a married relationship. And, like, every week... Like, I go to the movies by myself, and it's just nice and relaxing. But I'm, like, being in a relationship where, like, someone's, like, I do not want to see this movie because I hate movie feeders, like, on a, like, on a, on a level. I'm just, like, I, I can't imagine being with someone who just absolutely, like, rejects that. And in a similar way, I'm, like, I can't imagine being with someone who would go to the movie theater and talk during a movie at the movie. At home, sure. Like, I don't mind people talking at home. But, like, I can't imagine being with someone who's, like, wanting to talk to me during, like, a movie extensively. Extensively is the key word here. Like, if they want to whisper something to me in the middle of it, I'd be like, that's different. But, like, I don't know. So it, like, dating someone who's, like, at Barbie and's like, oh, this part's boring. <laughs> like, I'd be like, oh, all right. <laughs> this this is over. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, I mean, we, we may find those people assholes, but, like, it's, it's a Well, it's yeah, a I'm space. just saying that, like, we're talking about compatibility. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what this conversation is right now. I was like, Mark, are you and I compatible? Are we, like, the umbrellas in the pool? Well, I think... I think we are because unlike the umbrellas, we're adults who can like talk about these things. And and I wish I could say something a little more intelligent sounding than that, but I really think that's just it. I do think, I mean, I think like we're obviously different people and we're here right now. So I remember actually back when I, back when I said I was going to go on a road trip with you back way back in college, like in like January or something, you know, I was like, I'm going on a road trip with Mark for spring break. He's like, don't you? Get, she was like, don't you get really annoyed with Mark sometimes? I'm like, yeah, but like, wait, who said you know, that? Like, my mom. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Because I was like, yeah, I mean, I th- but, I'm pretty sure that like I annoy you too sometimes. Yeah, like, but it's like I also think like you know Julius and I we don't live together anymore, but I feel like if we were to like go like, hey, let's both. I don't think Julius would ever want to do this, but like let's both move to New York together and like get a room and it'd be like I think that'd be. We were great roommates in college, you know? We got it. We still would be like, hey, you want to watch this movie with me? Yeah, sure. That sounds fun. But then also be like, yeah, all right. Let's let's be on our... Like, even when we were dorm, like, roommates, you know? Like, in the same room, we just... We were pretty respectful of each other. We'd, like, watch our own things if we wanted to. We'd share space with the TV. And we're very different people. The, the reason I don't think any of this doesn't conflict with my thoughts about movie theaters, and, you know, this is where I'm worried about dismissing 
the concerns that you came to me with, which I would like to get back to. But the reason I don't think this conflicts with what I was saying is that I do still think that, like, you know, if you're going to manage friction, these events are going to arise. Something will happen in any space that is, like, annoying to the, the other people around you or you know, create some kind of conflict. And I just think you have to like manage those, manage those with like patience and empathy, which is not the thing that I did. But I truly do not care if like, this is my overthought is I guarantee you in any moment that it happens to me in a theater, I'm going to like be pissed off that someone's annoying me, even though I could get a refund. And that would be like the conflict way to like solve this thing. But it's also like also how close you are to someone, you know, like I'm sure like, again, like those people I was at with Barbie, it's like you can like be like annoying for a second and I can move on. But it's if you do it because again, I, I, I brought that up earlier, like there was someone at Barbie who like there's a moment in that movie where it's like Barbie's being pushed into a van and the the human hero characters are like, where are they? Like, wait, why are they taking Barbie? And like the scene cuts to the next scene of Barbie, like in captivity by Mattel. And the person behind me just goes, who's with my group goes, why don't they just, why don't you just follow her in your car? And I was just like, what are you talking? Like, it's a movie, like shut up. But that was the only time they did it in the movie, you know? And they, I didn't say shut up to them. I was like, that's really annoying. I'm glad I'm not sitting next to them. But that I was also... The only time they did it. They did it throughout the entire movie. I would have probably been like, yo, shut up. <laughs> but like, yeah. it's all like levels. It's all frequency. It's all like, also like, when you do tell someone like, shh, it's also like the level of respect they give back to you when you do that, finally, too. Yeah. If they're like going, it, it, again, it mm. goes back to the example I gave you. It's like, if they're like, this part of the movie's boring. I'm just going to be me like, but why are you here? <laughs> I'm just glad that you mentioned that because it reminded me of when I worked in a museum and I have to remember that while I'm talking about like the amount of empathy that you give people in order to create a peaceful environment, I have to remember that not everyone is like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like a, I'm like a six white man. I can, I can really like get people on my side and if they're annoying me then I can really diffuse things very well but I just remember working in a museum where the same people that I politely ask to like move on and make space for people will call my female co-workers a bitch in front of both Oof. of us I I should remember in all of this it is not everyone is like able to create peace as easily systems are really an underrated part of this whole thing maybe not so much now people are understanding like how important systems are but it's important when management is on your side and it's important when you can like get a refund for like tomorrow's barbie screening or you know whenever you have to be like in, an, in a conducive environment as well which is kind of where i get where some people are coming from but then i also think that like we as artists have a responsibility to create not just like physically accessible spaces but you know spaces where people have options or that kind of that's that's kind of another discussion yeah i feel like in a way the thing you're bringing up could just entirely relate back to our tipping conversation in the uh, brave episode did we have it i think i think people should tip what do you mean tipping conversation oh my gosh all right um uh so listeners to this i just realized our tipping conversation was in the snub club episode just dropping in our five easy pieces episode so be sure to listen to that oh my oh <laughs> i was just thinking i had a tipping conversation with sarah recently it must have been in the brave episode so if Caleb and Sarah are listening to this, there's probably a way we can relate that back to that conversation. What a terrifying <laughs> teaser. I mean, spoiler alert, me, uh, 
uh, Caleb and Sarah all pretty much agree on tipping up things. Oh, well, the, I, I, what? Why did you bring it up then? I think I, what everyone well, who knows because the system you is broken. To tip. It's one of those. Well, it's one of those things you were bringing up, like these are systems in place. But I also think you know, I do think there are AMC. You're, you're like this would be an easy answer. I think there are AMC's though. If you go to people an hour and ten minutes into the Barbie movie, being like, "Can I have a refund?" People are being loud. They're not going to give you one because like you watch most of the movie. I think there are places like that that are going to have that response for you. It's like, well, you didn't have this issue earlier in the movie. You know, it's different if I, when you walk out five minutes in the theater camp asking for a refund. And if I walked in like an hour into it being like, all right, these people have been loud the whole movie. Can I have a refund? Like, I don't think they'd give me one. You know, there's a difference. They're going to push back at a certain point. It's like it's like when I go to the Dolby, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, right? Where I like w- went Karen at the Dolby. And it's like every time I've done that after the movie, they go like, oh, all right, sorry. The only time they gave me a refund actually was at Knock at the Cabin was when I went after and I was like, re- it was the first time for one thing. But I was also like the sound kept cutting out and didn't cut out during the trailers. They're only cut out during the movie. And I was with a friend who, you know, because I, I was with Julius who and we were at my local Dolby so it's like my friend came from downtown and this was their first time. Well, second time at the Silva. I said first time because who cares? <laughs> you know, you can, you can be dramatic a little bit in these email complaints. <laughs> and it's like, I didn't want to complain. And we thought afterwards we could just go and tell them. And they kind of shrugged it off because they did shrug it off. They're like, okay. They were literally like, there's an issue with the sound of the knock at the cabin. And they're like, all right, we'll look into it. I was like, okay, thanks. Like they literally left it at that and just kept staring at us. So that's why I went to complain online. Also, because the thing was, Julius bought $20 ticket for the Dolby, and it, you know, the sound kept cutting off during, like, moments of that movie. It's like, mm-hmm. what gives? Yeah. I, I, I look at that where it's like, I remember, I've only had, like, bad experiences, like, in-person guest Dolby stuff. Whereas if you go online, it's like, they might give you a refund. And again, like, again, it's because I keep complaining after the movie. It's like, you watch the movie, it was fine, clearly. But... Anyway, I think we're. I think we've we've reached a conclusion to this tangent, didn't you? I think we've. I think we've kind of made our points. I want to ask how you're feeling because I actually did come in with something related to the blue umbrella. No, we can talk about the. We, we bring it up. Bring it up. We can talk. Well, about and the hopefully this isn't. More. I just. I'll probably just be like they have faces. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully this doesn't. You know, isn't just about the blue umbrella, but it's also something that we can both talk about. I was watching the Blue Umbrella, and then I watched Paper Man because I was like, wait a second, isn't this just Paper Man? And then just these two stories got me thinking about how often in my, like, college writing and, you know, producing art experiences, I've kind of made things related to this meet-cute experience. Especially, you know, not in my, not so much in the things that I've made because I have no money. I'm, I'm, I feel like you're gonna bring up something that we should keep buried, but go on. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I'm joking. Keep buried, but go on. Go if, on. If it's something we can keep buried, then we'll just cut it. But um, no, 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 no. I'm joking. I'm kind of joking with that. We should keep this buried just because it's like uh, I don't want people looking this up. But it's also they can look it up. But go on. If oh well. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! No, we'll lose our audience. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. You're like, I've been really inspired by this short. No, 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 no. Uses music to tell um, a love story. You have firsthand experience of how often I have returned to a scenario like the one we find in the Blue Umbrella and Paper Man. And watching these now, today and yesterday, to prepare for this episode, I find the whole concept kind of uncomfortable. Maybe, I mean, maybe you wanted to get into this conversation about, like, short films I've made, and I don't. But 
I was just I was just thinking about like you have this idea of a meet cute and I'm like those are like the worst relationships I've ever personally experienced or like secondhand experienced and I also think that there's just one more thing about the chorus in this movie and like in Lady and the Tramp it's something that I it's I because I it's something that I love is the idea of secondary characters really rooting for two people to get together in a romantic way and i can think of a lot of good examples of this that like don't bother me as much there's like this is what a night at the opera is about and i think that actually does it pretty well it that's a marx brothers movie i don't know if anyone's the notchka notchka is probably yeah we're both you know we'll we'll appeal to the two portions of our audience which have either seen night at the opera or (laughs) nanotchka i mean there are i'm trying to think of um, some recent rom-com that's like that too i'm trying but rom-coms aren't a thing anymore too the last one we watched was the one where everyone was evil except for the two main leads what was it what movie are you thinking of set it up yeah i think so i like set it up a lot i love set it up and i think of a part that i would love to play it is um what's his name's character powell no 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 whoever his boss is tay diggs yeah i would love to play a role like tay diggs has in that movie because i think that's like ideal for me to to have a line like we live in the digital age and then smash a printer you know i thinking i just realized you know what probably is the um best option for this is um when harry met sally because like at the end carrie fisher's like yeah we were rooting for you the whole time and you know that's also also whenever you're talking about rom-coms it's like when harry met sally it's right here <laughs> go look at that one yeah 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 which is fair it's a great movie it's a phenomenal film so like yeah sure or also i don't remember i own sleepless in seattle which is another i've never seen that one but yeah go oh on, it has sorry. my favorite ghost moment of it well one of two of my favorite ghost moments, both of which were shot by Sven Nickvist. Neither here nor there. I'm I'm watching this movie, Blue Umbrella, and I'm having like a personal crisis because I'm thinking of every time I have actually experienced either people watching a romantic relationship or this meet cute happening, and it is always terrible. Like if I think about times that I've actually seen this, it's like. Well, it's mostly with like little kids, so maybe that's different. But it's like if there's a if there's like a crowd of people talking about two other people in a relationship, they are like shitting on them. I've never like personally been in a crowd that was like supportive of another person's relationship because I know that like sometimes, you know, relationships can go sour, so you don't want to like put that pressure on people. But I love it in movies. I haven't seen an eye at the opera. But also, you know it's never a good screwball movie with this? Like never when I saw the Billy Wilder one was Ball of Fire does this too. Ball of Fire like has the professors that have you seen Ball of Fire? If not, you should. No, I think you'd I'll really write like it. Down. it. Yeah. I believe it's only written by Billy Wilder. It's not directed by him. Basically, these linguists are trying to write the dictionary, like the dictionary in 1930 or 1940, whenever this movie came out. And then he meets like a prostitute, or I, I think it's because I don't know if it's pre-code or post-code, but it is someone like a woman of the night, basically is how like they would put it, you know, in a movie like that, if it was post-code, mm-hmm. who like has all the slang. And then the male lead of the movie is like, who's the only one who's like young. He's like, I don't have any of these words in my dictionary. I must talk to her and study her and add these words to my dictionary because I have no idea what the <laughs> slang the, terms are. I love that are. premise. But like, there's all these other professors that are working on the book that are all much older than this, the lead character. And they're constantly like, oh my gosh, these two should get together. Like, they'd be so cute together. And I think that's the key too. If Even when, and when Harry met Sally, it's like, I think it's like a 12-year relationship they have, like, as friends. It's a, it's a long time they're together. And then only at the end when, like, 
those two are like when Carrie Fisher and the dude, I should look up who the dude is in that movie because, you know, not Billy Crystal, the secondary guy, Bruno Kirby. It's only like at the like the final like 30 minutes of that movie where you see them together talking like, oh, my gosh, can they just get together? And they're not even like it's like that. They're like, can they just stop this? Will they or won't they like just do it? You know that that's really more the vibe there. Even there, though, it's like those characters are like 36 or 37 years old. They're like old. Like they're at the age where it's like they want to settle down. We are still at the age where it's like it's still you might want to settle down. You might want to still like have fun a bit. Like it's it's not like people are ever rooting for people to get together. Mm -hmm. I think about in my own personal experience and I don't I don't want to again. I don't want to I'm not going to use names on my when I was in high school. I think I had, I don't want to be like, it was my, I don't want to be like, this was my sexual awakening, but there was like a weird point in time around like junior year when I finally started like actually having like crushes on other people, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have it. I mean, I had like, oh, they're, they're kind of cute type of thing, but I had no like, oh my God, I'm infatuated type of thing, you know, which is what happened. The summer before my senior year, I went with a friend to the movies and then afterwards i was like you keep alluding to like something you want to tell me and it's like what is it and it was like oh well danny i i really like you and i think it'd be really cool if we like tried out like being in a relationship because you know all of, all of my friends are saying we'd be good together too and i think we would be good together too and i was like i i personally really it's one of those things you know you're done junior in high school you should realize that like you shouldn't it's one of those things where I was worried if I said no, like the friendship would be gone. You know what I mean? Mm. One of like, you know, it's just that one of those like in like insecurities you have in high school. And it was something where that summer we we referred to it because this person was more into the Big Bang Theory than I did was. And the Big Bang Theory like had this thing where it's like, we're gonna beta test this relationship before we make it like an official relationship. So that's what like we referred to it as. But to me it was just more like, all right, we're we're just gonna hang out more than we normally do. Maybe we'll like hold hands of it, but like I'm I don't know. I'm not really, I don't know. Like at the beginning I was kind of into it just because I was like, oh my God, someone's interested in me. But it was also like, I, it just, and I feel weird talking about it too. Cause it's like, I'm, I'm friends with this person still, but it's like, it was just this bad mistake, mostly on my behalf really. And, but also, you know, I was a dumb high schooler and the thing that happened really was there was also was a lot of people were like, I remember coming to the head, like we had a camp for speech and debate always where it's like we're prep the stuff for the following year and we were at this and people were constantly like being like well danny did you kiss her yet and i was like kind of freaking out that concept just because i was like well the first kiss is a big deal and it's like i feel like i'm being coerced into this because it's our mutual friends who are like go do this you guys would be really cute together and i'm just like i'm not i don't think this is working you know i don't think i don't think i'm into you like that and it, it was a really funny thing because it like it, it i won't get into all the aftermath of it but it was like then the following year it's like and i just said that we, we kind of broke it off you know at the beginning of well, senior year and later on that year i started like getting like crushes you know and people and everyone would be like why are you into that person and not into also, by the way, just side side tangent before I continue. It's really funny I'm listening to this because right now, you know, I'm, I listen to podcasts on the way to work and I discovered this one because, uh, again, I mentioned the podcast Mark Cakes Can Answer Any Blank Check is I went on because I really like, well, no, I really like the They're people famous. on I searched we get, we, We're advertising for a famous podcast. Anyway, but I was looking up like the hosts on that show, like seeing what guests on. I discovered that guests on this show called Classroom Crush, which isn't as famous, which is something where it's like the point of that show is like the host has so many crushes to talk about from their past and they have a guest on to talk about like one of their crushes from high school or middle school or whatever. And like they talk about it and like they 
they air it out and it's like here's here's where things went wrong here's like if i was wronged or if they were wrong you know it's like a very like thing like maybe if we talk through this maybe that will like prepare us like for our futures type of thing Mm -hmm. and it's like interesting like it's interesting like type of therapy type of podcast in a way anyway so it's really funny to me that i was listening to this and now this just naturally came up anyway there was this girl named she was just i don't know i really it's one of those things you know there are crushes where you're like you think about it and you're like if this had actually worked out we would have been good and there are people the crushes are like oh no that was just a crush like if this thing would have worked out it would have been very weird and i remember like being like oh yeah i'm into to this this friend and other friends and i think that's actually what came up was like this person was like i was really mad when i heard about because i was hoping you'd be into me type of thing you know and the thing was is like people were like i remember there was another friend of ours who was like how could you be into she's so she's so much dumber than you i don't feel comfortable calling people dumb (laughs) especially not people i'm into right now and um, mark has firsthand experience of what i'm like during a crush too he knows i can get a little crazy But anyway, I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, but no, it was like, you know, everyone was like, you shouldn't be interested in You shouldn't be interested in these other people. You should be interested in this person you've been with forever as a friend. And in my experience, that doesn't really work because you can't force someone to be into somebody. And I think it's interesting because to me, it's like, you're like, I bring this all up because you mentioned that thing where it's like, people usually are like shit talking them as a couple. I'm like, in my experience, no, people do play matchmaker. And people Uh. do meddle into people's lives. But in my experience, it's like you can't force someone to be into someone in that way. I don't know. My point is my experience with like people like rooting for each other doesn't really work. And I feel like also when you brought up this tangent, I feel like there was something else you were building to where I was like, oh, that reminds me of something. But then you brought up the other thing about people rooting for each other. What else were you saying about the umbrellas? Can you like cue me back into that in a way? Because you said something else about the umbrellas before you brought up that. Yeah, I'm just... I'm just really intrigued by, you know, the idea of a meet-cute. I think my interest in a meet-cute is what a crush is to you. It's this, like, harmful fascination that I have. And I mean, I'm in a fantastic relationship right now. This isn't something that is, like, plaguing me. But I'm just so, like, optimistic about the idea of love at first sight or something like that. But I think that's... That's, that's really a bad way of conceiving about relationships. And yet, much as David Cronenberg mourns some of the themes of his own films, they are the things that keep coming out of him. And this is something that I keep exploring, even in things that I, you know, would like to make. And now, now, now it's, you know, it's good. we're getting on to hour two of the Blue Umbrella podcast, so the people still listening are like the hardcore listeners. Um, so, well, I don't know if it's, so, like, um, I, we, it's kind of a different podcast now. We haven't done a therapy session in a while. Yeah, that's what I was really when you when you started complaining about Barbie, I was like, oh shit, I can turn. I was actually saying that recently when I was talking to that person. Um, I, I texted Mark about this, and this person I'm talking about is gonna know they're listening because they they have now a regular listener. It's like I caught up finally on all the episodes. My favorite episodes are this one, this one, this one, and then I brought up the Sesame Street episode where it's like you was really moving hearing you talk about Arthur the way you did, and I was like, we need, I need to be more emotionally open on the podcast because I do think those earlier episodes where I was very emotionally open are better because that is what the thesis of the podcast was like it wasn't like this is a friend of the show caleb i'm I'm going to now advertise a podcast that is not famous friend of the show caleb has a podcast called star wars therapy where i think the idea of podcast as therapy is both probably kind of harmful because obviously nervous of therapists but also i do think it's interesting to look at these things through like what does pixar mean to us how can pixar like tangent us off into these conversations that have like a deeper meaning but looking at myself, 
like I don't want to be like it's not it's never love at first sight it's infatuation at first sight right mm-hmm. or it's not even at, to me it's never at first sight too you never see someone you're instantly like oh man I we're it's it's the first conversation you have right it's never like first sight and yeah. there's a difference between me having a conversation with someone like Sarah and I I kind of like you know instantly go, okay Sarah well actually I didn't really know Sarah that well when I first met her but it's like one of those things was like all right we're gonna be friends you know type of thing there are other people I know it's like oh we're, we're friends you know but then there are people sometimes you talk to them and you're saying like all right I feel like there's like something kind of deeper here so this is either gonna be someone who's like a really good friend or someone that maybe I could start like something with if that if that makes sense mm-hmm. and then generally, generally for me you know you get to the point where it's like you have this conversation with it and then they go like oh yeah my boyfriend or oh yeah my girlfriend i go like all right all right you know and you gotta find a way to move on from that but i don't believe that there are meat cutes or even love at first sight because the thing about the thing about love and i say this as someone who's never never really experienced romantic love i feel like and I know that sounds very incelly when you put it like that, but I also think it's true, is love goes both ways. And I don't think it's possible for people to really meet someone immediately and they're like, oh, I know I love this person. Because you don't know, if, there's no way, I think it's pretty damn hard for some, there was this video that went viral recently where it was like, because I saw it because of that movie Past Lives, which I've complained to you about in person that I won't complain about on here because it's an indie movie that's very popular. And I gave it a four out of five on Letterboxd I do think it's a good movie. I just don't think it's for me. But there was this video that went viral where it's like someone was just going around New York interviewing people, couples. So it's like, how'd you guys meet? And it's like, we met at a party and I asked if I could move in a week later. And we just instantly gelled and we like each, we love each other a lot. And it's like, okay, I guess maybe, maybe there are like meet cutes like that in the world that are real. But I also think that they're exceedingly rare. And I get that's why like, you know, people go like maybe in past lives we met each other. And I say that not to quote the movie past, but that's something, you know, like people say in general. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I struggle with the idea of a meet cute in general. Cause it's like, I think, well, first off, I don't meet people. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's one of those things where you're like, Danny, what do you think about love? And it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's I never... think you brought up something very true, which is there is no such thing as a meat cute because it takes a little bit to find out that the person's not a freak. Yeah, exactly. That's where. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's funny that I think that this is actually another reason why Paper Man is such a great short because it is actually it's actually a short leading up to the point where they like meet and have a conversation. And most of the short is about jokes related to the other office workers in that guy's building while he's throwing paper planes. It's actually, it's, it's mostly jokes about paper planes not going where he wants them to. And then the end credits are full of shots of them, like, talking at a cafe. But there's no, like, commitment to them, like, having... They seem to be doing pretty well at the end, of the, at the end but there's no commitment during that whole short to them actually having a good relationship together, unlike in the Blue Umbrella where they're like nuzzling each other at the end of the short and it's like wow they connect immediately that's ridiculous and again they're, they're connecting outside of a cafe and using their umbrellas in the rain while they eat i guess that's why i wanted to bring it up just because i wanted to like work that out vocally i i don't know i just wanted to arrive at the thing that you said which is like why does this sit so weird with me but there are obviously all these movies about this very thing happening and i think in every example that we've listed as like a positive positive example of a romance film it acknowledges this on some level well i was gonna say i actually think and this whole thing comes back to probably a way bigger discussion than we want to get into now is like 
I think often about you know how you grow up how you grow up you watch movies like you know Disney movies obviously you watch like When Harry Met Sally you watch like You've Got Mail you watch Groundhog Day you watch and very specifically I think about the movie and this is a Disney movie and a rom-com I think about the movie Enchanted a lot and how that movie like formed my ideas like what romantic relationships are because in a way that movie posits that at the end of it it's like Adina Menzel goes off with James Marsden to have the fairy tale romance whereas Amy Adams stays to have the like real romance but it's like at the end of that movie there's still like the montage of like you know Amy Adams is now like hanging out with the daughter and it's like now they they're still together and they're still happy true love's kiss worked there is still something real like there's still Mm -hmm. love in the real world but also in you know that movie it's like the meat the meat cute is she falls off a billboard but it's also not framed really like a meat cute even though that would be what it is yeah and it's not like love at first sight she like grows on him but it's also like it's one of these things you look at all this these movies and this media and you're like ah these these are probably like very like i think about i very much specific and the reason i bring up enchanted is there's a song in enchanted that used to be and i i've retired it because i realized it's like i I realized pretty soon after but i think even in college it was like a like a song and it's kind of like kind of like this doesn't mean like saying i was an in-song in college but i feel like i definitely like would be like oh i'm not that but also kind of aired to the side of like having some things that were like kind of like oh man what's going on here you know type of thing but there's a song in enchanted you know they've, they've got all the disney songs but then there's this song at the right before like the dumb third act where they are dancing at like this masked ball it's a song called so close which is actually a really beautiful song i actually think it's really great but the basic lyrics of the song are like so close to touch you so close to meet you but so close but so far and it's like it's really it's a wonderful song but it's like a really terrible song to utilize as like oh man i'm so sad because i'm i'm really crushing on this person right now but yet i'm still so far away from them which is you know not the context used in that movie but it's a very easy way to internalize those messages of like stuff like enchanted like stuff like um i'm trying to think of other rom-coms that i grew up with like groundhog day like oh you know the, the golden one the, the, the big, bad rom-com of our generation, I would say, isn't even a rom-com, but it's a movie that people have constantly internalized the bad messages from. And it's a movie I should revisit to remove the file. Because I am a very firm believer of don't adjust your grades on Letterboxd until you rewatch the movie. I have this at 555 on Letterboxd. I think about two movies that really, like... Actually, I'm going to say two now. I'm going to say 500 Days of Summer. That's what I was first leading to. And then I also look at Silver Linings Playbook as two movies that, like, really are, like, Look at how much love can fix everything, you know, in your life. And look at how much it's just like, you just need to find the right person to fix all of your issues. And Silver Linings Playbook plays that out, you know, very straight. Whereas 500 Days of Summer is like, this is this guy's perspective and how he view it's 500 Days of Summer, you know, is trying to be this self-critical rom-com. But it's a movie that because it sympathizes so much with a Tom character who's played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, it's been misread by people for years to be like, this is a movie about, like, Summer's a bitch, you know? Like, that is how people read that movie. And people, and I, I look at that movie and I always point it out where it's like, this is a really good movie that I should revisit so I cannot think it's good anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe. And I don't know, I look at all this stuff where it's like, I think it's really interesting to get a movie like 
I don't even think past lives is right because I don't think past lives gets this. But you know, now that you know I've grown up and I've watched you know the Before trilogy. I say grown up, and I'm talking about movies I watched in college even. But like I watch stuff like the Before trilogy, where I think the Before trilogy, you know, is hinging on like the first movie is the meet cute. The second movie is like we seek each other out again and we do get our fairy tale romance. And then the third movie is like this is what love actually is. And I think that is really interesting to me. The movie like Before Midnight. And I wish there were more movies like Before Midnight that were like mainstream. But also, you know, we live in a world where like we don't have rom-coms anymore to grow up on. I, I actually think recently I saw the movie No Heart Feelings. And I think that did really capture for me in a lot of ways, even though I always... I always empathize more with like the Jennifer Lawrence character and that than the dude in it where it's like here is a relationship you know that's doomed to fail because that's what some movie's about but spoiler alert, at the end they are still friends. There's a lot to do with like the media you consume when you're growing up and the expectations that come <laughs> it's kind of funny because you know one of the most favorite famous scenes of 500 of summer is the expectations versus reality scene. But I think about all this, and I think about the Blue Umbrella, too, and the Blue Umbrella and Lava and Paper Man all, to various extents, reinforce this narrative, right? Where it's like, there's a guy who wants a girl, and eventually, he gets her. Paper Man gets a bit better, because Paper Man is, you know, it's built on... The planes facilitate the meet-cute, right? And that's where the short ends, and then at the end credits, you get to see a bit of the relationship where it seems like it's going okay, but again, we don't know how long that's lasting. It's not like they show them having kids and getting married, mm -hmm. right? It's not like that. But I think I immediately went to also Greta Gerwig's Little Women and how that movie does the romance stuff with everyone. And then I've never read Little Women. I've never seen that version of Little Women. But I all, always think just out of context how smartly it does the stuff with Joe at the end. Where it's like, maybe I got married, but also I can be that independent woman who just wrote a novel and gave this a happy ending. Like, you can choose if this ridiculous happy ending where this guy who's been long suffering being like, Joe, you're so cool. You're so cool. Do you actually do you actually think Joe's gonna go for it? Do you think that's just a good ending for her book? And I think that's such an interesting way to contextualize, like, because probably Little Women, you know, is as someone who you know, I haven't read Little Women, but I can assume that Little Women is like one of these textbook codifiers of like it's a drama, it's a romance, it's a comedy, it has comedic elements at points, and then the movie says, yes, of course, all these other people got married, but did Joe get married? Well, in the book, she marries this other guy who she met, who has always liked her, and she's kind of been like, okay, whatever. But then the movie contextualizes, it's a happy ending. So that's why Joe's writing it in her book. Mm. And I think about that a lot. And I think in a way, Little Women is kind of an essential, the, the Greta Gerwig Little Women is weirdly the essential text. Now, I can't think of another movie that really acknowledges that, like where it's like, we need to, like, stories should end with like the couples getting together even ignoring the fact that like these couples you know them getting together and getting married is kind of ridiculous if you know you spend the entire movie like being like should like when when harry met sally i love when harry met sally it's a great movie but at the end where it's like when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with someone you want to spend you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible great line fantastic i don't believe when harry met sally ends with them getting married it ends with them like talking to the camera it's like and we've been together ever since you know maybe they get married i don't i don't remember i haven't seen when harry met sally in a while but even then it's like we have to have this pat ending where they get together you know like if you invest this much time in this relationship they have to get together and again i, I look at little women it's like the movie that movie acknowledges that like it's ridiculous in a way for meg ryan to still want to get with billy crystal it's because it, it, it is always you know like the man's always the jerk ass in the relationship and these things or in the case of little women it's like this man is so underdeveloped compared to joe why would we want joe with her i think it's this whole thing where it's like what is the media that you consume as children and as an adolescent saying about like 
what you think about relationships, what you think, or even like, I was, this just popped my head, like, you know, watching Disney Channel, you know, where it's like, oh, who is Alex on Wizards of Riverly Place going to date today? You know, it's like all these shows were like built around like high school romances and stuff. And it's like all these things like work out weirdly in them. And it's, I don't know. I think it's a whole big thing where it's like someone should probably write a book about this. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should rewatch every like Disney Channel show and write like a grand opus about like, this is what romance means in the Disney Channel generation. But also, as somebody who's not in a relationship, I write this grand novel. <laughs> not to not to bring up another difficult, lasting moment, but maybe your dad was right when he was like, it's because of Wizards of Waverly Place. All you kids are getting these ideas about dating. I think it might be. I also think it's something where, in another sense, because this is pre-Wizards of I actually think that all starts with High School Musical. <laughs> That's really where it is, where it's like, I think High School Musical kind of... I know, yes... Hannah Montana and that's where even all have like these romance plots. Mm-hmm. But like I, I think about like ha- uh, High School Musical, so like oh Troy and Gabriella, they gotta get together, and oh we have to pair away every like. I'm sure you saw. Uh, I don't think Sarah listens to this podcast. Hopefully she doesn't, because I'm about to spoil the new season of High School Musical, the series, the musical, or whatever it's called. But they've already released it like in a trailer where it's like they finally reveal that Ryan is gay, and it's like okay, but you know in High School Musical three, it's like oh look, he's with Kelsey. It's so nice, and it's like yeah, okay, like that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like no way. But it's like one of those things where it's like everyone has to be paired away in the series finale, right? Or or like I think also you know this isn't even this is a cartoon. It's like Danny Phantom, Danny Phantom had to end with Sam and Danny getting together, right? Jimmy Neutron had to end with Jimmy and Cindy getting together. It's like, these are these are children shows about children where it's like, will they or won't they? I think about, this was a show I was obsessed with in college, actually, my senior year, and it was last cartoon I really ever got into was Star vs. the Force of Evil. And the show kind of fell apart when... So basically, you know, the first season's like a goofy cartoon, and then the second season, like, builds out the lore, and, like, the main characters are Star and Marco, and it's like, Star and Marco clearly should be together because they're like you know platonic best friends but it's obvious the way like shows are written like they will get together and around the end of the second season it's like they realize that they are into each other but they're too afraid to voice it because they don't want to like damage their friendship and then you know the beginning of the next season is like where the show should have ended because it resolves its main plot that's like oh shit we we got renewed for two more seasons (laughs) and basically the show does like a switch in setting where like the first two seasons were set on earth second two seasons are set like in a parallel dimension where star grew up so now marco's like the fish out of water right but the issue is when that happened it was like then the other romance for star that was viewed as like a toxic ex in the first two seasons suddenly becomes like a viable option because they redeemed him and it just becomes like this romance drama where by the end of the show both star and marco had then become really bad people to the relationships they'd been in with the other people i think about i don't know if you realize this or not because you weren't into that show but when we graduated college we kept up doing our little muddies a week like we, we would send them to each other and one time I wrote what was basically like a Star vs. the Force of Evil fanfic, but I turned it in. And I actually thought it turned out really good. Because basically Marco got with another character named Kelly. In the show, I'd say they were really good for each other. And I know this is really funny to be like, I'm an adult watching this cartoon for children. And these characters were really good for each other. And it's like they were both moving on from their exes in the show. But then, like two episodes later, it turned out they'd broken up 
off screen and I was like oh man this show does not know what it's doing anymore because by the end you know Star and Marco get together but by then you're just so annoyed with them and you hate them you hate that they got together as adults watching this for kids you might be like oh yeah Star and Marco finally got together but like anyone watching this like with an intelligent gaze is like why did they have to get together you guys wrote them into areas where Star could have been with someone else and Marco could have been with someone else and they could have still been like great friends and everyone would have been satisfied and instead you discarded those other characters to like give these characters a happy ending they outgrew because it's i guess also in a way it's kind of like even though i've never watched it how i met your mother you know the famous ending of that where it's like this is the ending people wanted five seasons ago mm-hmm. but it's like but they all grew past that yeah and it's one of those things where i look at stuff like i think this is a constant thing where even in rom-coms it's like these characters should grow past each other but because it's a movie they're not able to well we're kind of getting lip smackies do you have anything else to mention no, I don't know. The blue umbrella really is. I do think the blue. I think this is good. We got this out of the way. Because if we have a guest for lava, I don't think we're gonna get that like that deep of a tangent. Oh, off you do. Of this you do think like, we're gonna get a guest for lava? I've asked a guest for lava. We will see if they agree or not. Is it the guest that we um, you mentioned to me? Yeah. I hope so. But you know, whatever. So here on looking for the ocean, we like to give films something. A lot of people who we we really don't. I shouldn't call this a review show. Once again, the ghost of Ao Adabiri appears over show. my shoulder. <laughs> but this is not a review show, but a lot of people who do review shows like to give films something like star ratings or numbers or something like that. But we like to physically give the film something like a present or a gift. Now, I don't know if you all remember, but we, we talked about the... Le- <laughs> this is about the Legend yeah. of Mordew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know what to give the Legend of Mordew. Uh, I would just, you know... That bear looks like he's living a sad life, so I want to give the bear the chance to go inside the cafe that the umbrellas sit outside of at the end of the blue umbrella, and they can go inside too, actually. Everyone gets to go inside the cafe. They can curl up together. Because I was pretty positive about the blue umbrella, so I think that they deserve some warmth. I thought you were going to give them a paper airplane or something. No, I'm not. I mean, that we do that all the time. But, like, everyone should go rewatch Paper Man. I will give both of them separate things. I'll give The Legend of Mordu. I will give The Ghost of Mordu in his purgatorial afterlife that I gotta assume is happy because he was like, thank you to Merida. <laughs> <laughs> he gave his little head nod and was like, all right, bye. I'm out. Uh, so I'm going to give him a DVD set because you can only get it in DVD of Succession because, you know, he had to deal with that. So he might as well, he might as well watch and be like, oh, Kendall is so me right now. He'll <laughs> be like, did Kendall afterwards go and get, like, come fair? Because that's what I would have thought if I was Kendall. <laughs> become a demon bear. But and then for the Blue Umbrella, I was going to give the mm. Blue Umbrella something different. I was going to give Blue Umbrella... Um, I don't know. I feel like uh, I felt like my Little Women point was pretty good. So maybe I'll give it like an outdoor screening of Little Women at the Grand Canyon to like try to cohesively tie every tangent together. But mm. I don't think that tied everything together at all because we went way too broad. This it's time. hard to do callbacks. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that I get to do this podcast with you, Danny. Yeah, I do too. It was this was a this was like again this was kind of a throwback to like our old days where we're like. Let's get yeah. very into life. Before we had a bunch of... I don't know, we've had like so many guests lately, which has been good, I think. But also, we've had a lot of Mater shorts, too, where it's like, I mean, there's nothing here. Oh, oh I, should, I guess that really has been more of what we've been doing is just Mater shorts. Well, what do we do next time? Well, speaking of Mater shorts... Oh my, I thought we were done with them.
Well, we are, but unfortunately, Cars Tunes continues. We're going to do Radiator Springs episodes one through three. Then we're going to do something called Omelette, which uh, I don't remember what it is. So I'm going to go on Matterbox and search Omelette. Okay. But it's a detour, so it's... So it's a, I believe it's a shorts director who, yes, yes, it is a shorts director. One of her earlier projects is it's Madeline Sharafian's, um, I believe it might be her student short film, maybe not, um, but it looks like it is one of her first short films. Who is that? She eventually goes on to direct Burrow, which is Pixar's traditionally animated short film that was supposed to be attached to the Soul in the Theaters. Ah. Then Soul got sent to Plus and so did Burrow. It was Academy Award nominated, though. Oh. So it is considered one of the good ones. Cool. I like Burrow. Burrow's nice. So this is a detour about her student film, which is interesting because, you know, it's a student film from 2013, and then from 20, in 2020, she gets to do hers at Pixar. I believe she might have a feature in development. I'm not entirely sure about that. I'm off that. Other information next week. All and right. We'll talk about four short films next time. Uh, good. Looking for the Ocean. It's produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. The show is edited by Mark oh, I just Young. Saw your little your little icon enter the Google Doc. <laughs> Our original know. artwork was designed by Sarah Knopf. You can follow us on social media at Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and Twitter at Pixar Journey, and on our website, Looking for the Ocean Pixar.podbean. Which reminds me, everyone should go listen to our Cars 2 episode. I don't know why. It's very weirdly a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're not curious about Cars 2? <laughs> you can follow me on MarkYoungPerformer.com. It has my socials and also a page where you can see all of the episodes for this podcast and listen. You can find new ones. You can follow me, Danny, at Blankmits on Letterboxd. You can listen to my other podcast, The Snub Club, where we talk about movies at the most Oscar noms and no one's. And as I mentioned, like, and as I mentioned about like probably 90 minutes ago, we also talk about tipping culture in the Five Easy Pieces episode. Oh, uh, so. yes. I love I love Five Easy Pieces so much. I know I'm always plugging the Snub Club, but like Five Easy Pieces especially, I love that movie. Yeah, but we'll see you next time with cars, shorts, and omelets. Yahoo!